You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept feeling this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome back to another Two Bucks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and this is the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. And I'm really excited because today I have Kyle Davidson from DCA Custom Arrows, and we are already chatting in the green room about business, and so we had to fire this thing off so we could get into it. But how are you doing today, Kyle? Busy, as we all are. We're all, uh, everybody that's in the hustle is like all my friends that do this kind of same type of thing, man, we're all busy. It's rare when we can talk to each other, but it's good when we can kind of sit down and do these kind of things because it helps you reflect on where you've been and you also get to meet, you know, some really cool people. So uh, happy to be here and appreciate having me on. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering, do you get like archery shop syndrome where we're, you know, here in Minnesota, we're getting inside of a month from season out West. I don't know where you're located, but out West, a lot of seasons opened up this week, especially like archery antelopes. So do you get like a rush of orders and everyone wants to get their arrows right away before season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the, the funniest thing is like a lot of people that order arrows through me, they know that I'm busy and I'm busy all year long. So I'm not, it's not just, there's like two weeks in October where everything kind of settles down a little bit and that's it. Um, but most of the people that, contact me right before season are my good friends. Mm. And so, you know, kind of looking at you, Josh and TJ and, uh, Jake, Oops. Uh, Shots Donnie, fired. <laughs> Giannis. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, wait, it's Giannis, that's not a, that's not a, um, a common name. Is that a, a Giannis we're all f- familiar with? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I do. Uh, Giannis Patelis' arrows and Donnie was Donnie Vincent. I have three dozen of his arrows here that, uh, he was like, can you, can you fix these up or, uh, wrap these up and uh, I do wrap design too. And so he kind of has schemes that he wants and he's like, you know, my new bow is this color and he, uh, I'm like, all right. So we kind of come up with something, but um, all these are good guys. Like Donnie and Giannis are great dudes. Um, and I, I consider them friends. So it's a, uh, it's fun to do those, but uh, it's also, they are the guys that contact me right at the last second. <laughs> so you must be in the Northern Rockies then. No, I'm actually in Indiana. Um, oh, wow. But I, yeah, I ship all over the world. Like, okay. um, um, and a lot of my arrows are used all over the world. So I get a lot of cool stories from guys about, you know, hey, I was in Africa, or I was uh, up in Alaska, or I was down here or over there, and here's a picture of the animal I shot. And like, I've never seen the animal before. It's just enormous, you know, huge horns. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy. But yeah, it's it's fun. It's um, I tell people, I'm like, I don't hunt a lot. Like, I hunt very little, but. Um, I have tons of feedback from not just my setup, but everybody's setup. So, you know, I, I build for everybody. It's like people that are like a 32 inch draw at 80 pounds to, um, in 350 or 360 IBO bows. And then all the way down to, you know, like a 24 inch draw with 40 pounds, you know, with a slow bow or something like that. So I build for everything. And, you know, obviously a big chunk of that is that medium spot where most people are at. So I, I get a lot of, uh, of practice and then I get a lot of feedback on, you know, when things are, are going really well. And so far, everything's been doing really, really well. So 
Uh, I've been doing it for about five years. Um, so I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm big enough that I do need to focus on the business side of things, but, um, I'm honestly just like an inventor at heart. So it's a, a big learning curve and I hate doing paperwork. So, um, I'd rather like, I have a 3d printer, uh, in my house, I have my own wind tunnel that I run arrows in so I can, you know, put an arrow in my wind tunnel. Uh, it can spin freely. I could put any broadhead, field point, vein, anything I want in there. And uh, that's how I developed my Super Saber veins was kind of using that part of it. But it also gives me apples to apples comparison. I can measure all kinds of stuff using that wind tunnel uh, to kind of relate my veins to other people's veins. And then I have like a, a lab radar that's sitting right there. Um, I use that. I use computational fluid dynamics to design them. Um, but that's my bread and butter is like, you know, working with my hands and making stuff. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer. Uh, <laughs> I was in I my was day job. <laughs> just going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you went to engineering school because I also yeah, went I, to engineering school and you're talking my language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I went to Purdue. There's, oh, there's there you go. right there as I kind of look over my shoulder, but, um, I feel like a weatherman right there. <laughs> um, but the, uh, uh, yeah, I, I went to school for engineering and then, um, Right now in my day job, I work at a, a multi-billion dollar company in research and development. And I've been doing that. I've been working at that company in research and development for about 17 years. Um, through that company, I have like 30 patents, roughly speaking. And then um, I actually just got the, the patent approved for my vein. So the, the Super Saber vein. Oh, I've uh, seen those. I've been really interested yep. in those ones. I didn't know they were yeah. yours because it's a vein. Like you don't know who makes it. Yeah. Yeah, Giannis is shooting him. Uh, Donnie's shooting him with his compound when he shoots compound. Uh, there's a lot of people out there now that are are shooting him and loving him. The thing is, like I mentioned, I'm not, I am not a businessman, um, but I I kind of have to be, and I don't advertise. So the only advertising that I really do is through Instagram. Uh, I just post pictures of the arrows um, and word of mouth. Like there's a lot of guys that I trust that are out there that um, I send prototypes and things too, and get feedback on. Uh, and that's kind of it. And then what I rely on is just Instagram and a guy picking up my veins. They're sold through Lancaster and they're sold at a, a bunch of other stores as well. Um, but it, I just rely on people getting them, going out and shooting them because um, it's not marketing. It These things really work. It's like bona fide aerodynamic principles. Like I'm a huge F1 fan and in my day job, um, I deal a lot with fluid flow. And so uh, I'm used to working with this stuff and seeing how things move um, and uh, it's liquid flow, but it, it's not aero flow, but it, it, it's still a fluid. Air is a fluid and it, it kind of behaves the same way. So uh, I follow F1 like crazy and that's like the, the golden, you know, ultra engineering nerd sport where it's like, you know, I know who Adrian Newey is. Like if I saw him on the street, I could identify him. I'm reading his book. It's right there. And he's the uh, lead aerodynamicist for the Red Bull racing team. So it's like, wow, that's what I live and breathe. In fact, me and my wife were driving. My son's huge into World War, World War II stuff. And we were driving to Ohio to go to the uh, Air Force Museum out there, which is awesome. And I'm driving. My wife's next to me and she's staring at me. And she's like, what are you looking at? And it was raining. So I was watching how the rain was wrapping around the cars. And you can really see how the aerodynamics work on it. And I was like, see on that truck, how it's doing this and this and this it's because of that, that, and that. And she's just like, she's a counselor at an elementary school. So we're like polar opposites, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, she's like, you're, you're weird, but 
she's like, I'm glad you enjoy what you do. <laughs> yeah. So put it into put it into maybe a a real easy to understand um sentence of like what will the average archer notice between like and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but yeah. let's just go with an entry level beam and arrow. It's a, what a lot of us probably started on with our first yep. bow because you you get the sticker shock of a bow and all the accessories are like, okay, what are the cheapest arrows I can get? And yeah. so I started with beamins, and so you just get that standard arrow. What would someone yep. notice between that and like an arrow you would build, whether it's you know specific with the new vein that you developed or just the entire build itself? Yeah. So the, the new veins are like, I, I build with whatever people want, but, uh, people come to me, uh, for like the whole arrow building experience and also to get the veins. Like I'm, I'm selling tons of them. And again, I don't do any advertising. Um, but the, the biggest difference that people notice, um, like with my builds, I'll kind of do that and then go into the veins, but with the builds, like I look at your draw length, your draw weight, um, your bow, so like what your IBO is, what your brace height is, what your let off is, uh, how you know if you're a 30 inch draw, 70 pounds, that that setup stores a certain amount of potential energy, and so I look at that potential energy and then convert that over to, you know, when you when you pull your release, uh, that it it will compress the arrow, it'll start to flex slightly, and what I look at is all of that, like I I find the correct spine, uh, the correct point weight, the arrow length, because the longer you make the arrow. In effect, it breaks down the spine. The more weight you put on the front of it, the more it breaks down the spine. And I look at all that stuff. And then what I'll do is like, I primarily use um, Easton uh, and Black Eagle just because I've put them on my spine gauge. Most of, I'm pointing to it. Most of the tools that I have, all the tools I have are modified. Like I have nothing that is stock. Everything I, I do, I either make myself or I buy. And then before I even use it, I'm cutting it and grinding it and making it. Uh, something different that I wanted to do, but I use those arrows primarily because consistency of the spine is very important, and uh, that gives me kind of a light, medium, and heavy option. Uh, it depending on what somebody's setup is, and if we need to go to a stiffer spine, which is normally heavier, then I can you know use a lighter GPI arrow and then put more of the weight in the front to break it down or something like that. So in effect, kind of my builds are very, very custom tuned to the person. Not only that, but um, and I. I I don't take a ton of orders because it's just, I just don't have time. It's me and my buddy, uh, Tyler, that actually helps me fletch. And, uh, he's a volunteer fireman. So he's kind of busy a lot of times, but he has days off and, mm. uh, you know, he, he just enjoys doing it. So he helps me out, but primarily like I run my entire business by myself. So all the, the pictures on Instagram, um, all of my inserts for the, uh, veins, all the, uh, everything I do everything. Um, and it's, it's a lot to manage, but like kind of with those builds, you'll see more accuracy. I spine align all the arrows. And then the, the big thing like the, that people notice is that I do like a custom wrap for everybody. So, um, I have a ton of wraps that are out there. Like this is the old school camo wrap. I just have around, uh, then like my arrows are, it's a, uh, Thunderbirds, the air force okay. fighting or flight team. Oh yeah. It's kind of my wrap. I kind of went overboard on it, but like, Here's some where it's just, it's a white wrap with somebody's initials, on, somebody's initials on them. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I do that. And then uh, I take, you know, my stock wraps and I'll add somebody's name or something like that to it. So it's a very custom experience. And then I also talk to them for like a half hour where I find out, are you hunting on the East coast, the West coast? What kind of animal are you hunting for? How far are you going to be shooting? How far do you like to shoot, you know, 3d or do you just shoot 
Uh, do you just hunt? You know, that kind of thing. So I can really custom tune, not just to the, their setup, but also to what they're going to be doing and really understand who they are. If they're new to archery, I have ways to make it the arrow more forgiving, make it a little weaker. And then if they're, you know, I shoot every single day. Um, and during this conversation, I know how good of a shot or how much they shoot. And so it's easy for me to kind of tweak the, the setup for that. So it's very, very custom. Oh, and yeah. then, and then for the veins, uh, the, the first thing that everybody notices when they shoot them is how quiet they are. Like these are very, very quiet. Like, um, I went to my local range when I was, when I first got the first production ones done, cause I would go to an empty field that one of my other buddies, Chad owns and shoot there because I, I couldn't bring them out into public yet. So I was shooting at this range for the first time. This guy's known me for a long time and he's just kind of talking and not really looking at me while he's shooting. And I shoot one of the, a competitor vein and it's, you know, it's got this as it goes out and then I shoot mine and it's just, thump. and he's like, he spins around and he goes, what happened? Did you dry fire your bow? And I was like, no, he's like, it didn't sound like it. Cause you didn't get the loud explosion, but I didn't hear anything. And I was like, that's the new veins. And he was just like, holy crap. But it's all like, it's all done. You know, it's not made up principles. It's not things that I'm inventing, uh, the shape and using it the way I do it isn't, is an invention, but, uh, the way the air moves around the vein is kind of how it's done. I'm holding up a vein that has some lines drawn on it on how the air actually moves. And then, um, on my website, I'm updating it to have more of the information of how that works. And then like on the back of the insert, I also have some of the CFD that I've done. And so mm -hmm. it shows like the air coming off the back of it and how the air is moving around it and the different pressures and the secret sauce behind how I do it is just managing that air with a vein you have, it's not on straight. It's on at a little bit of a, an right, angle right, offset to get the or helical spin. And so what you get is you get a high pressure side on one side and a low pressure side on the other side. And if you have a big difference between those two over the whole area of the vein, you actually get a vortice off the tip of it. And that vortice is that sound you hear. Uh, it's also, it's not just noisy, but it's also inefficient. So those vortices off the tip of it, uh, off the back tip are what you hear. Like you hear it in planes too. If a plane comes down and lands and you hear the plane, the engine as it lands, and then after it's passed you, you hear the crackle, that's the vortice coming off the tips of the of the wings. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. Now, everyone knows that Steelhead Outdoor safes are the only American-made, fire-insulated, modular safes on the market. But you might not know that Steelhead Outdoors also carries a full line of handgun lockers, pistol boxes, and even custom vault doors. So whether you're looking for a locker to store your concealed carry when you walk in the front door, or a pistol box to mount underneath your nightstand, or even if you're looking to secure an entire doorway in your home and create a safe room, Steelhead Outdoors has a solution for you. You can tell the guys over at Steelhead are gun owners because they have the gun owner in mind when they design their products. Their handgun lockers are just the right size to store modern-day handguns with lasers, optics, double-stack magazines, and even a backup gun. While their pistol boxes are the perfect size to mount underneath your bed, your nightstand, or even in your vehicle. And when it comes to a custom vault door, they have designed a panic lock and emergency release so you can easily lock and unlock your vault door completely from the inside, meaning you are always safe but never trapped inside. 
Go to steelheadoutdoors.com to check out all of their security options and pick the right one for you. And so they'll, they do everything in, in the uh, aviation industry to remove those vortices. They put little tips on the end of them and they do all kinds of things with uh, different vortice generators. Sometimes the vortice is good if you're using it and it's bad if it's coming off the back of the vein. So right, so like really have very, very little. With a baseball, you use that to create a curveball. That's different. So what you're doing with that is uh, it's a different principle. But when it's high pressure baseball, and low pressure pockets, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's it's the spinning that generates how the, the, right. the air is moving around it. Yeah. Uh, but with mine, it's more like if you look at a main wing of an F-18, mm -hmm. it has like a, a lead angle and then it has another angle on the on the outside of the wing, yep. uh, the main wing. And if you Google like vortices of an F-18, you'll see it like pulling up. You'll see a little tornado coming off down the main wing. That's a vortice too, but that's actually a good one. It's not coming off the end of the wing. It's coming over the back of the wing. The reason they do that is when it pulls up, uh, if the air on the bat on a wing, as the air goes over a wing, it generates lift. Right. As the as the angle increases, that that air could separate off the back of the wing, depending on the angle of attack or how much the air the plane's pulling up. When that wind separates off the back of it, that's when it stalls. So it stops generating lift and it basically just becomes you know, a low pressure on the back of the wing, which is bad. Right. I was just going to so, mention, uh, like, it sounds like the testament really is in the quietness because I was going to say, I assume right. any noise you hear with aerodynamics is loss, really. Correct. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like, on mine, you see off the, the tips and, like, on the back of the card of my insert, you could see how all the air off the back of the vein is straight and smooth. Uh, that's from... Uh, the air, you know, managing that low pressure zone. I, I only have a low pressure at the tip of my vein, the top tip of my vein. That way, the, the all spin. the air from the first edge is smooth and everything like that. And you still get the rotation. I tested it in my wind tunnel, you know, okay. apples to apples with other veins. So you still get great rotation. You get ro great rotation right off the bat from it. Uh, there's some pictures or some videos on my Instagram, the DIY Sportsman, who has a great slow motion uh, camera, Garrett Poole, if you know him. Uh, great slow motion. You could see it right when he shoots, it starts spinning right away. So uh, you get great rotation. It's just all based on science, not, not marketing. Uh, yeah. Right. Not anything else. It's all just science. Like so. the quick fletch is pure marketing. Like it's probably one of the worst fletchings, like technically, but it's so easy for anyone to just boil some water. I mean, I use them. I'm guilty of it. It's yeah. like, I just, it's like, I got 12 right now. I have two dozen black eagle arrows. I buy them in two dozen batches because if you buy a dozen yep. and then you break one or lose one, all of a sudden you're really short. <laughs> yep. And so I have like four good arrows right now because like 18 of them need to get fletched because the quick fletches yep. always break. And I one thing I really want to get into is fletching my own arrows. I just yep. haven't bit the bullet yet on buying a nice fletching jig. I don't want to buy a cheap one. I want to buy a nice one that I can do the yep. right degrees and stuff. And, and it's just... Um, that quick fletch is loud though. Like it's, yeah. they actually, on some of the models I've noticed, they actually put, um, um, texture on half of a vein to create drag so that it'll spin. And I'm like, that's probably not the best way to create spin. Yeah. The, the, the texture is actually to, uh, it takes a lot of texture. That's what I don't think people understand is like a golf ball. The reason it has dimples in it is to do the same thing as what they're trying to do with that uh, texture on a vein, but you need you need a lot of texture. It's not like yeah. like little scratch marks won't do it. Uh, what the texture does though is create uh, create 
kind of the same thing as a vortice where it mixes up the air so that the faster moving air above the top of it and the slower moving air around the bottom of it, that kind of gets jumbled up and you get less of a, a separation. That's why if you hit like a, a smooth golf ball, it won't go very far. But when you hit one with dimples, um, those dimples actually help keep the air stuck to the, the, the golf ball while it's flying. So you get more lift out of it and get more flight. Interesting. But yeah, the, the texturing, it doesn't really do much unless it's pretty extreme uh, in the angles that we run on our veins. So there's a, I have this problem all the time, every season, our home farm, well, me and my wife just bought a new farm. So I'll, it'll be curious to see if I have the same experience on this farm as my home farms about two hours away. But our yep. does at our home farm are notorious for ducking, like yep. terrible ducking. I've had on film where I pulled the trigger at 28 yards on a doe fawn, late season doe fawn, you know, like that's yep. kind of like herd management for the next year. And that arrow, my lighted knock is going straight for like a high heart, and you'd expect it to drop like an inch or two into a low heart. And at yeah. like the last five yards, that dauphin ducks and misses, and I get a clean miss by six inches over its back. Yeah. Like that's it. Like that thing dropped like a full twenty four inches in five yards of arrow flight. And so there's there's um there's a lot of theories out there about what's really causing the deer to duck. Are they seeing yep. the movement? Probably not. Is it the bow noise? Well, bows are getting really, really quiet. And one theory is if they have their head down, they can leverage their head. As they lift their head, they can force oh, their shoulders down. Yeah. yeah. And so they and I've looked into that and I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you shoot them with their head up, they don't they it's just gravity. And gravity's not fast enough to really cause issues. But what right. another thought is it's the noise of your arrow in the air coming towards them that really spooks them. And so I was going to ask you, have you noticed any like reports from your customers or seen any evidence that like a quieter arrow reduces how much deer jump or the effect they jump? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's a big debate. People have always been like, well, I could either shoot like a, st a super stable arrow, like something with a blazer on it or, you know, different a blazer type profile or something tall so that the big debate was either you know you shoot a tall vein and you get uh noise but you get high stability or you shoot a short vein which is quiet but you get um less stability with it and with mine i mean mine my super sabers are mm -hmm. uh over a half inch tall and the, all the stability is in the back of it so like the first thing that everybody really notices is the double delta design in the front of it and yeah. then the, the next thing is all the area in the back. So all that area in the back is adding to the stability of it. Because if you think about it, like this is my short little demonstration area that I'm holding up. But yeah. if you think about it, if you uh, were like to make a weather vane and you wanted that weather vane to turn faster, you would add area to the back of the weather vane. Right. And that's what I did with these. So there's no other vane out there that has as much area in the back as mine do. And it's for that stability. Not only do I run, you know, the wind tunnel, my lab radar CFD type stuff, but I actually run the same calculations that NASA does when they figure out uh, the stability of a rocket. I used to find the stability of an arrow and I would go back and forth like to develop my vein. It took two years oh, wow. because uh, one, it was just finding the profile of something that was quiet. Like I shot, I'm not even kidding, 20 different profiles just to see if I could do it. it I wasn't planning on selling anything. It was just kind of a, I was just interested to see if I can make a vein quiet. And then once I got the the general shape of it, that double double uh, delta design at the front of it, um, then it was kind of optimizing it for an arrow. And what I did was model 
not only field point, but also broadhead, and then uh, would run the CFD and run the same, literally rocket science, the same stability that they used to find a rocket. I used to find the stability of an arrow. And so I would go into the stability program and I kind of figured out what did things in there, what increased stability there. And then I'd go back to the CFD and I'd see how the air is moving around it. So, I mean, the, the big uh, plate at the back of it, the big area at the back of it also helps because as that air separates on the second uh, top part of it, it'll actually swing out. The air from the bottom comes up and fills that in, that area from the swing out of it. And then when it comes back, it hits the back of the vein and then comes off straight. Uh, you, you wouldn't want just a little peak in there because it would hit, it would separate, and then it would come back and there's nothing to catch it as it comes back. So having that extra wall, when it separates, it comes around, it hits that, and then everything just comes off really, really smooth. And that's how you get that efficiency of the vein. But as far as like noise goes, that was the big debate. Either you shoot a, a tall vein or you shoot a short vein. Short veins are in general just quieter because uh, they're not in the higher, faster moving air. So in an arrow, there's a bound in, in anything, water pipes, cars, anything that's moving through a fluid, you have a boundary layer. And so that boundary layer is when it's moving, like when the arrow's moving at the shaft of the arrow, the velocity is zero. So right at as small and close as you could get to the arrow, the velocity of the arrow is zero. And then it increases as you go up from the shaft of the arrow. And then once you get into the regular velocity of the air or the velocity of the arrow, then you're out of the boundary layer. A smaller vein is in that boundary layer. So it's not working in uh, air that's moving as fast as taller veins. Right. And so again, with mine, I, I created a tall vein that's ridiculously quiet, like scary quiet. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. I don't have marketing because number one, it's it's a very recognizable shape. Uh, I didn't do it on purpose. It was just a form following the function. I love Formula One, like I mentioned. So like, that's my thing. I love it when things look away to function away. And yeah, when you see them, they look unique. And then when you shoot them, it's like, what was that? And how did that happen? And uh, the Super Sabres can handle any broadhead, like anything that's out there. They do a great job of increasing that stability. And there's other principles to it that we could talk about of, as far as stability. But a lot of them, like if I've had people tell me, like on the back of this is the insert card for the Super Saber. And on the back of it, like I go through, you know, explanation of what uh, actually affects aero stability, show the CFD and then the application method for it. But um, yeah, there's a lot to it that's that's baked in there and it's not uh, it's not bro science. It's not marketing. It's like legit. These work this way for this reason. Um, and it's very easy to explain. And then it's also extremely easy. Like I, I mentioned, I shot a bunch of different profiles. I went back and was looking at some of those profiles and I can like say, oh, that's allowed for this. That's allowed for that. That's allowed for that. Yeah. And, uh, it's once you kind of figure it out, it's a little better. And then, so I have my super saber that's out, uh, which is the taller version. Then I have a mini saber as well. So this is the lower profile version of it, um, that I just came out with. And so it's, uh, a little bit shorter, it's 0.465 tall, and that's a little shorter in length as well. So this is good for, uh, mechanicals points and smaller broadheads. Um, and people are shooting like MFJJ, if you know, elk shape. Uh, we're shooting uh, broadheads out to 150 yards with it and, you know, tight groups. He's a really good shot and obviously a very good bow tuner that falls into, a, you know, play there. But uh, Are you talking you can go about back Dan? His, uh, no, uh, Josh Jones. So it's a buddy of Dan's. Oh, okay. The guy that, with the mohawk that's oh. always on elk shape, uh, yeah, that's gotcha. him. So uh, he actually carries them in his shop as well, the Super Sabres. So like I said, I 
distribute to different uh, shops and arrow makers and all kinds of stuff. But so, uh, Okay. So what's the difference between, you know, typically it's always been a three-fletch um, a three fletch arrow, but now I've been seeing a lot of people doing like a four fletch, like a flat X in a way, not like yep. perfectly 90 degrees, but maybe like 130 degrees. Is there, is there, is that something that can help an arrow stability or is it not needed anymore with like the technology that you've developed or what's kind of the difference between those two? Yeah. So the, the kind of the X wing look to it. Yeah. Um, I've, I've honestly never played around with it. I, I'd have to run some CFD to figure out what's going on there, but I think I haven't seen anybody shoot that ever. It's, it's on my Bitsenberger, uh, jig and I've never seen anybody actually run it. So I'm kind of curious, uh, if somebody has some input on that, but, um, the only input I have is I have a, a buddy probably out of my contacts that I have phone numbers for, well, obviously now I, I know you so i'd ask you arrow questions but before that it was him like he was the arrow expert like i'm an arrow connoisseur maybe i'm not an expert and so he was like yeah i love it it's i've started shooting it um it's it's flies really well for my bow and then it also gives me a lower profile so i can dial my adjustable sight farther down without hitting my fletching on my sight housing yeah for sure that would be um it, it might just work in his situation. There's a lot of, of that kind of situation where it's just like, oh, that it works for me, but nobody really knows why. Uh, but there might be something to it. Okay. I just haven't played that much with it. But as far as like a three-fletch, four-fletch, uh, my three-fletch in the Super Sabres, my three-fletch works great. Like people yeah. are always asking about four-fletching them. And I'm like, you really don't need to. Like I've run, I've run the stability calculations. And if you add a fourth vein to it, it does increase your stability. But... It also increases your noise, it increases your drag, uh, and it increases the weight of your arrow. So you're shooting a little bit more weight with it. Um, and if, if you don't need it, then you know you don't need to shoot it. And three of mine really is a very, very stable platform for whatever fixed blade broadhead you want to run on the front of it. Uh, Would you but- notice an increase in speed when you switch from like a blazer to a super saver? No, and that's a that's a great question, and I get it a lot. The, this, you said you're an engineer as well, right? So right. we can nerd out a little bit. Well, I'm electrical, like, so don't don't give me any hard questions on okay, mechanics. Okay. So like my arrows, I'm a 30 inch draw. I'm a super skinny dude, but I've, I'm tall. Yeah. Uh, so in an arrow, I shoot a 29 and a half inch arrow. And you would think that an arrow being as small as it is, is like a very aerodynamic object, but it's not true. Arrows are very unaerodynamic. And most of the drag of an arrow like 70% of the drag of an arrow is actually the shaft of the arrow. Okay. And that makes no sense. But if you think about it, it does. So that boundary layer that I talked about before, you know, the air moving at the very front of it is, or right by the arrow is zero. And then it gets faster as it goes up. The longer you run that, the more that boundary layer propagates. So oh. as you go down it, you start, you even get negative. So it does. it's not just zero, it's a vacuum. So it goes this way and then that way out and the longer that arrow is the more drag you get from it like if you've seen a good way to visualize it <clears throat> which is what i do like i'm i tell people i'm not a smart guy but i i could dumb things down to a fifth grade level because that's about where i'm at but <laughs> if you look at if you're on a boat and you look down at the edge of the boat you'll see where the water separates off the, the bow of the boat it'll be close to the the boat 
And then as you watch it, as it comes down, it'll start swirling the further back it goes. Even if the boat's going slow and it's nice and laminar in the front of it, by the time it gets to the back, it's swirling. That's because that boundary layer is right. propagating or you're getting the vacuum as you go down. So if you uh, replace like the veins, which are not, they are a portion of the drag, but if you replace these veins with other veins, like it's, there's not enough of a difference between mine and somebody else's to actually see a lot of difference in drag. It's mainly the the shaft of the arrow and then also the weight of the veins. My super sabers are seven grains. My mini sabers are six. Uh, okay. But the one trick you can do is like, uh, I have these, but any, any profile that's similar to this shape, yeah. uh, these are actually just as stable as these are. But this is the mini saber and then you know, this is a two and three quarter inch long parabolic vein and it kind of follows everything, but these are just as stable as these are, right? But this is six grains. This is nine grains. Not only that, but if the wind was hitting this, you could see which one would move more with the wind, right? So you can replace this one with this one, get the same stability and, uh, get less weight. So you have more front weight, which that's a whole topic, but I don't want to get in the, uh, but it didn't, you lose weight off the back of it, you get less wind drift, that kind of thing. So those are really good for that. But yeah, just replacing, you know, this profile with this profile, there's not enough of a difference and it's not enough of a contributor to okay. the overall drag of the arrow to see a lot of difference with it. Going lower profile does it. That's why I came out with the yeah. mini sabers. But uh, yeah, the super sabers are just very efficient with the arrow. So are the mini. And so there's not a lot of drag difference though between like one to the next. Mm. If so, that makes sense. Yeah. So when it comes to like that's just the vein, and obviously that's something that's really cool. I and mean, I'm excited. I'll be when I do when I start fletching arrows, I'm gonna be switching for sure. This is yeah. all just oh, a you gotta get, very interesting you gotta get conversation. One of my vein tools too. So this is you're talking about getting them accurate. Uh bits and burger is the best jig that I've found. Yeah. And I've tried a bunch of them. But what this allows you to do, it's a little piece of an arrow, and the bits and burger doesn't have angles on it. But this does. This is the vein angle tool or the VAT. Okay. And you uh, set up your jig by putting the corner of the vein down on that little mark right there. And then it has all of the angles coming off of that. So you can set it up so that you could get it exactly where you want it. And then on the back of my card, I actually tell people that like a two and a half degrees is where I found to be the most forgiving and have less drag. So I shot at distance with the lab radar, you know, zero, one, two and a half and five degrees uh, offset helical offset, what do you want to call it? And saw like the speed. So I could plot from in a hundred yards, I could plot 200 points of data and actually see the deceleration of the arrow. And, you know, at five degrees, you really drop off at two, the difference between zero and two and a half was very, very minor. And so it was like, that's a good spot. Cause you get that rotation. The rotation helps take out the inconsistencies of the arrow. It's not like a football, like a gyroscopic thing. It's more of just taking out any inconsistencies. So your your arrows, you know, slightly curved, which they all are, because it's impossible to make a perfectly straight arrow. You don't want to shoot that arrow though and have it just constantly curve in the same direction. So you spin it so that it it moves a little bit, but you don't get the right left, right, up, or down. So that's why you want that rotation with it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's just very timely because my wife just bought her first um adult bow so she had a youth bow growing up and so she's been shooting that for it's like 15 year old bear so it's a oh, vertical yeah. bow very old and she just got the new hoyt uh vtm 
Oh, which is yeah, that's an upgrade. Which is really impressive because you know she's a female and she's small. She's only five foot three, but she's very strong and she used to do a lot of powerlifting. And mm. so we uh, started shooting on Sunday for the first time this year because we just bought the farm and we've been busy and she was in residency and had no time to shoot. So she shoots like 20 arrows on her old bow and then we go to the bow shop and I'm like, hey, you should shoot and then we'll go to the bow shop because we've been talking about this, but you should kind of have what your bow is like fresh in your mind. And then we yeah. go and she starts shooting this Hoyt and they're like, well, what do you want to start at? And we're like, I don't know, 50 pounds. And so she she pulls back 50 and it's just right back. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty easy. And so she shot the VTM and she shot the phase four. The phase four had a harsher draw cycle and she didn't like that. She wanted the smooth draw cycle. So she's like, yeah, I love it. But now we're coming to like, okay, well, should we order a 60 pound bow or should, I mean, you're already at 50. Should we order a 70 pound bow? Yeah. And so the guy's like, do you want me to just tune it up to 60 and see what happens? And she's like, sure. So he cranks it up to 60 and she's just, I mean, she doesn't even sky draw. She just yeah. pulls it straight back like you'd see like a target bow at 30 pounds and yeah. shoots. And it, she's like, yeah, it did feel heavier. But we're like, well, you haven't shot in a year and a half, really. I mean, you haven't like consistently shot in over a year yeah. and a half. And so like your muscles are just going to get used to it. And I'm like, you probably will be pulling 65 pounds for this hunting season. And like in oh, the yeah. future, you might even be at 70 pounds, which is crazy for a yeah. five foot three female. Yeah, that's so the, the guy that lives next door to me played triple a baseball and big dude. But when, uh, and so he wanted to shoot one of my bows and I have like the bow that I started with, yeah. uh, still, so I could set up like a whisker biscuit on it just so people can kind of right play with it. And so I set it up at like 50 pounds or something and he couldn't pull it back and he's oh. a big dude, but like, it's, it's just different muscles to pull right. it back, man. And then another guy, a uh, family friend, same bow was interested in it. I had it at 50 and he almost broke it when he pulled it back. And then I was like, Oh, well, well, okay. I'll, I'll turn it up. And he was like, this is nothing. And so I turned it up to 60 and he just ripped that thing back too. And turns out that he rode in college. So he was oh, his used back to, you know, muscles back just and, great. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, I turned it all the way down and he would just talk to me while he's pulling it back. Like it was a nothing. 30 pound bow and he's pulling 70 pounds. And it was the fourth time he'd ever shot a bow in his life. You know I mean? Like the, the fourth shot literally was right in front of me at 70 pounds and he no issues with it so it's just and like i said i'm a skinny dude but i i shoot 65 but like i shoot when i shoot it's not a little i shoot for a couple hours and so right. i don't want to be pulling back a, a ton of weight uh every time it's more just uh for for me to be able to get the distance and also to shoot a, a common weight arrow at a, a common ish speed so well it's crazy to notice like just from her jumping to from her bear, which is basically a vertical limbo by today's standards, to the Hoyts, which are like parallel limbos, way more technology, way more forgiving. Like her group sizing shrank by like 75%. Yeah. And she was shooting a drop away on both bows. Like it wasn't like going from a whisker biscuit to a drop away, which is huge if you're not, if you have any consist inconsistencies in your form, a whisker yep. biscuit just magnifies it. Um, yeah. And so now I'm thinking like, man, I wonder how, how tight her groupings would be if she was using like an arrow with the fletchings you have. And like, we just picked an arrow off the shelf or like, I don't know, 400 spine arrow, you're shooting a 25 inch draw and they just cut up some arrows and that's what yeah. we have. Like it, there's nothing unique about it. And so now I'm kind of curious, like what if we did get her an arrow that was tuned for her and her bow and her profile, would she just like start like, you know, breaking arrows if she's aiming at the same spot 
Yeah. I've, I've, I've had a lot of guys that tell me that, that they, you know, they go from an arrow that you just walk in and get from a shop, which is a great way to start. That's what I tell, I, I've had guys call me on the way home from the archery shop, excuse me. And they're like, uh, yeah, I want to get some arrows for me. I, I literally just bought my first bow and I'm like, I'm going to save you a bunch of money, man. And I was like, call me in about six months or a year. I was like, go just use the ones they gave you, get consistent with your form. And you know, you're going to lose a bunch of arrows. Everybody does like your first 12. I, I probably have, I literally have two of them from the first 12 arrows that I ever had over there and lost a bunch of them just because you're, you know, you forget to do your site, you forget to move, you shoot off the wrong thing, blah, blah, blah. It just happens and make all those, you know, early guy mistakes, early girl mistakes and uh, get that out of the way. And then, you know, when you're ready for like a, all right, I'm not losing arrows. I'm consistent. I'm holding the same spot. Everything feels good. My muscles are developed. I now I'm, I'm not shooting 60. I'm shooting 65. You know, those growing things will happen and then uh, get a really good arrow. Like I, I spine line all the arrows along with all the, the math and everything that I do. And then on the wrap, I actually have a mark on my wrap that I align. It's not going to show up, but oh, there's a little white dot right behind it. But uh, I'll mark the spine of the arrow. And then when I wrap it, I line up that line with a mark on the arrow and then uh, fletch off of that. So you don't need to knock tune or anything like that. They're all spine aligned and um, ready to go. But yeah, it's uh, when you first learn, you got to learn, you got to lose a few arrows, pay your dues, and then uh, then maybe uh, get some some custom arrows. But yeah, we're excited for that. Um, can you so about like when so, when a customer comes to you, it's like, so like if I order some arrows from you, I'd be like, hey, Kyle, right now I'm shooting 70 30 and I I'm I'm interested in a heavier arrow and I'm doing like a two blade fixed Ed Ashby style broadhead. Like I'm building my arrow was built 100% to get pass throughs on elk. I that's that's all I care about. I will bite the bullet when it comes to whitetails um and and put up with that arrow because I want to do everything possible to get penetration on elk. And so you're like, "Okay, well, you so I, you know, I don't care if it's 570 or 580 or whatever the two grain is. It looks like I want a little bit heavier arrow. I'm shooting 175 grain broadhead. I want it to be a two blade fix. Can you take all that and be like, yeah, I'll build you an arrow. It'll probably be somewhere between 575 and 600 grains. And we can do that broadhead. No problem. Yeah, I, that would be true on everything, but I'd probably get it down within five grains of what it would actually be. Yeah. You so could, like you could spitball it. You're like, you could figure it out and be like, it's going to be within like 575 to 580. Yeah. And then I would give you an estimated speed as well. That's usually really, really close. Every bow is different, uh, but the speed is usually right on. And like, if you wanted a, a bow for elk hunting, you're going to shoot a fixed blade. Uh, number one, I would say shoot the smallest broadhead at the front that you can. Cause like the, the trend I know is to shoot like massive, heavy broadheads at the front. But the thing is you got to remember uh, when you put a broadhead on the front of your arrow, it's kind of like putting veins on the front of your arrow. I, I see things yeah. like aerodynamics is my big thing and every time somebody's like i shoot a 300 grain broadhead i'm like like just in my head i picture <laughs> a giant you know blade on the front of it like a turkey and guillotine so, <laughs> yeah exactly and so you know your the veins that are on the back of your arrow are there to add stability to your arrow and they they move what's called the center of pressure to kind of get into it so you have the center of gravity and you have your center of pressure and the difference between those two is actually the stability. That's how they measure stability. So you would want like a f high forward center of gravity and a far back center of pressure. So you have all Correct. your weight here and you have your basically your steering wheel back here. And now you have a 30-inch yeah. arm to control your, your steer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But the 
you know, the, the bigger, like, these are my points, but if your broadhead, the bigger your broadhead gets, the bigger vein you're running in the front of your arrow, and it's going to pull that center pressure further forward. It's actually quite small. Um, the cut diameter is small. It's like three inches long, and it's a three-to-one yeah. angle. And so I think it's only like it's it's right up against most states' minimum broadhead um, diameter. Diameter. So yeah. I think what is it like an inch and an eighth is most people's limit. I think this might be like an inch and three eighths wide, which that I'm a little. That's on the other side. It's like I don't know. That seems a little bit narrow for like good cut and good hemorrhage yeah and so i don't know i might switch to the the iron wills because they have a little bleeder blade that at least it kind of gets a little bit different pattern for the cut but that's where i'm torn i don't want to shoot mechanicals that's off the table i'm not shooting a mechanical for elk um yeah i know a lot of people do just i'm not doing it and so then it i used to shoot like the hellraiser a three blade fixed not super high profile but i'm sure that's more um just adding that third blade adds a lot more pressure dynamics. Yeah, it, it pulls that center pressure further forward towards it. But the thing you could do, like a lot of the builds that I do, I use a, a half ounce on. So this is the this is a Black Eagle arrow, my arrow. Yeah. But um, I use the, the half ounce on it. And, you know, there's no perfect insert. I, I debate with a lot of my buddies. Uh, well, I have to do outserts because I'm using, I shoot the Black Egg, is it Black Eagle pile drivers? I have the, the uh, smallest shaft Black Eagle makes. Okay, the X Impact or the Deep Impact? Deep or Impact. Or the, uh, that's the Revelation is like well, they, smaller they are, than a one. They're older, but I think it's Deep Impacts. Okay, yeah. So with that one, um, a lot of what I do are 204, uh, an, an Eastern Axis size arrow. Um, there's a lot of inserts that are available for them. The micros I kind of stay away from just because the components aren't, there's not a lot of components it's and they're the all, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to adjust the weight, but with this, like these outserts have a, they're threaded in the back too. So I can add brass to the back of it if I need to, to break that shaft down or more point weight breaks that shaft down more. Okay. And you could, so you still shoot the same, you know, diameter or cut width blade that you want, but then instead of shooting like a 200, you know, shoot the 100, you still get the same di same cutting, uh, height or width or whatever you want to call it and then uh but it's a it's a smaller vein on the front of it so you could still get all the the effects of the, the veins on the back but like i was saying with my veins uh there's there's a lot going on there it's tough to right without getting like super technical like with the air and how it moves around and all that stuff you get less buffering with it having a big low pressure on the one side and a high pressure on the other side and having the whole vein area be a low pressure adds a lot of buffering to the back of your arrow. If you imagine like riding in your car and you put your hand right uh, perpendicular to how the air is moving, your your hand moves around a lot. And it's because of the difference in pressure on the back and the front. And so your arrow will actually do that too uh, with different veins. Um, if, if they're loud, that's what's going on. Right. If there's a low pressure on one side, a high pressure on the other side, and that's the, the tail coming off of it. But um, so it moves around a little bit, but yeah. The smaller broadhead you can run, the the better. Just in general, no matter what you're talking about. Uh, the, if weight's the only thing, do it with the inserts. So then, it. Well, what I like about that plan is then I could see the problem. One of the issues is I don't want two arrows. I don't yeah. want an elk arrow and a whitetail arrow. I want the same arrow. And to get the broadhead I want for elk, you have like they don't make hundred grain Ed Ashby style arrows. Yeah, they they're all big, 
and I just found I bought 150s, 175s, and 250s. And none of the profile doesn't really get any bigger. They just get denser, I think. I, I mean, yep. I really do think that the, the blades were the same size. And yeah. so what I like about what you're doing is I could find a 100-grain fixed blade and then for whitetails and then add that back insert weight to get the weight I need. But then I could unscrew it and then put in a mechanical for whitetails if I want a mechanical. Yep. I don't know. I... I'm torn on it. I really am torn on it. And so I don't know what will happen. Maybe I'll just have to, can you get like outsert weight? Like not behind your, so I have an outsert to go from my, I think it's 204. Maybe it's a 165. I can't remember. It's the deep impact. If it's a deep impact, it's the 165. So then my outsert brings it back to normal standard diameter, which is like five thirty seconds, right? Uh, eight thirty seconds. Yeah. Eight thirty seconds. You see, I'm an, I'm an, I'm not that intelligent about arrows, but it goes to standard. So now all the things yeah. fit. And it's that's part of the Ed Ashby style is having a bigger broadhead shaft diameter than your arrow shaft diameter so your arrow doesn't have as much drag on the animal, the shaft. You, that's what they say. I don't know. He said it made – it was like top three or four things that he saw in his research that made a difference in penetration is having a smaller yeah. shaft than your broadhead shaft. And um, so could I get like a weight set, like a 75 grain weight that I screw into my insert and then screw my broadhead into that? Uh, I don't know on those because you're probably, if you're using the focus system that comes with the Black Eagle micro diameters, I don't know if you could do it with those. Um, I think you might be able to, but, um, but then like it's they different. have the weight so you could screw them in and you can unscrew them, use a big, long Allen wrench looking thing yeah. to be able to adjust it. But um, an interesting thing about micro diameter arrows, so this is... The one that I shoot is a 300 spine uh, Black Eagle Rampage. Yeah. And then I actually have a an Eastern Axis uh, long range that is a micro diameter arrow. So it's a 166, 165 uh, diameter, and it's a 300 spine as well. The difference in diameter of those two arrows is negligible. Is 20 thousandths. So you get 10 thousandths, 10 thousandths per side. And 10 thousandths is. Uh, not much. Two pieces of paper? Yeah, not, not much. much. Okay, so you're saying just by going to 204, your components get much easier. You're not sacrificing any arrow shaft. So, like, it's almost like marketing and hype where people want to well, go to 165. A little bit. The The other thing to think about, too, is if you shot – because everybody's like, well, yeah, but you get more penetration with a smaller arrow. And honestly, that may be true. Like, I don't know – I don't have enough data. And, like, Dr. Ashby did a great job with – his paper i've read it i've read the entire thing yeah and it's really good like a lot of what's in there is good it's science Um, and data it's not opinion it's not speculative it's like this is what we shot and this is what we saw it's it's not the perfect doe because they didn't test all the other options against it but it's probably the most comprehensive broadhead study available yeah it's interesting because uh so like with my job, I work in research and development. So when we're coming out with something, it's a billion dollar company, like I mentioned. So when we're coming out with something, it's like, I can't go in and say, um, you know, I, I feel good about this. I think that'll work. They'll go, no, it doesn't. Right. You know, we'll be sued for millions of dollars. And so I have to do things where I do studies where I control a variable and I chain, or I, I right. keep the, the uh, controls consistent. And so hunting is not a great, way to do that because there's so many right i would say the only thing at ashby controlled was the arrow design and the broadhead design he didn't control shot placement he didn't control like tissue constituents like is he shooting fat muscle bone he just 
controlled broadheads and then shot a bunch of things and then reported yeah. what he saw. Yeah. And that that's good because you can, right. you could do things like that with a very large study and you could say, okay. Yeah. I think it was hundreds we, or thousands of animals that he did. Yeah. You could do it, but it's like the, the instance I give people on like shaft diameters. The other funny thing is like, uh, think of it like the, you've seen the points where it's like a, a regular point, but then it's like mushroomed in part of it. And it's supposed to be so you could pull it out of a target easier. It's like, oh, it, it opens up the target. I've seen that, but it, that doesn't work because then you're just pulling on that point. <laughs> like you, you either have a small pressure along your entire arrow or a huge pressure on the end, and it doesn't really matter. And it matters right. to me because if I shoot the wrong target with my bow right now, I can't pull my arrow out. Right, exactly. So that's what I was going to say is that bump on it, when yeah. you shoot it in there, it just what takes the, all the marketing you. behind it is that it opens it up and like, yeah. You know, it would go in and the hole would be there and then you'd be able to pull it out through that hole. That's not the way it works. A foam target it's collapses elastic. on yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so is an animal. So, I mean, like, you know, when you, when you punch through I it. I think what he, it, the, the real thing he said, which doesn't work is when your arrow is bigger than your broadhead shaft. Yeah. You definitely don't want that. Cause then you're. He like, didn't say it has you, to be micro diameter. He just said it has to be smaller than, so like two sheets of, like a sheet of paper on both sides. He said, perfect. Yeah. That's all you need. You just don't want it bigger. Yeah, and that's like with these uh, black eagles. Yeah, you, uh, just, you get a little bit there. Yeah, it tapers. So this is a, a half ounce that tapers from bigger to smaller, and it does a great job. Uh, these are again my points um, that work with either this size or a half ounce. They kind of have a little round on the back of them, so they mm. you can't really see it, but it, it works with the either shaft. So you can use it just with a hit. You can use it with a half ounce. You can use it with a half a hit and a collar. It fits with everything, and you get uh, like it's easy to pull them out of a target. But um, yeah, that little mushroom at the at the front of it that just locks it in there. Like if if I was designing something to shoot and then stick in there, like a harpoon or something, yeah, it would have that bulge. It'd probably be like a barbed bulge, but right. you know what I mean. It's that's better than smooth. It would pull out if it was smooth, right? And so uh, that's interesting. But that kind of goes back to the the micro diameter shafts. And I have really good buddies that are like micro diameter shafts penetrate more than other shafts. And I, from like a, a science standpoint. I don't see how that's super possible, but I'm, I'm, I'm not to admit, uh, like I'm never telling everybody I know everything. It's like, I could be wrong on that, but, uh, my in, gut instinct is it's kind of works the same way as one of those. I, I just look at it in like, I, I, sometimes to understand a concept, I think about it in the extreme. So imagine if your yeah, shaft was same. the extreme micro diameter where it's infinitely like a picture infinitely small, but it's still there. Well, then, like, yeah, an animal's body is elastic, but everything you go down from how wide your broadhead shaft is is going to improve your penetration. Like, it's going to decrease the resistance, right? Because the animal is elastic and it'll come back. But once you, yep. like, for example, if you punch a one-inch hole and your shaft is an eighth inch, like, it's not going to be that elastic. Like, if you Correct. can punch the hole, then it's no longer probably going to touch your shaft. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. What about the opposite? If you punch an eighth inch hole, but you have a one inch arrow, that's going to stop right away. Like it's, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, I can yep. see in the extremes, but I do see where you're saying like, well, that's the extremes. Yes. The theory sound in practice. I don't think it's going to make 20, a much yeah. of a difference as long as you're less than your arrowhead. Yep. And the, the other thing you can think of is like a bot, like an animal's body or foam, it's a spring. And so the way spring, I use, oh, I do. So springs have uh, like a K value. Yeah, so yeah. when you push on it, it's less, and then the in. more you push it, the more tension you get out of it. Yeah. So with an animal's body or a foam, 
if it was a big difference, then you're increasing that spring. And so you're pushing the spring back further from zero. The more you push it back is you get more pressure yeah. on it. But if it's 20 thousandths and, uh, and there's I don't blood, think it's, is, I think, the, yeah, I don't, I don't think it matters how much smaller it is. It's just make sure it's smaller than your collar. Yep. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm good with that too. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It's, it's just funny when a lot of marketing is like, it's rough engineering or somebody will ask me, Hey, well, it's usually like, not engineering. Usually I'm like, Oh gosh, marketing said that. Cause I'm also an engineer for a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. And so it's like, Oh, marketing said we got to do this. Like, it's like, that's not going to work. Like, I don't right. know. I don't care what you told the customers. That's not going to happen. Like we that's can design something over here, but like you, you can't just say, Hey, we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, if it's not possible or if it's like a bigger stretch than what they think and it's going to take longer than they think, then it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I dealing with marketing people is a, is a long struggle, but it's, that's, that's, what's nice about owning my own business. Like my marketing is just technical. I don't care. You know, it's well, like, do you, you've mentioned before, you don't like the business aspect of it and you don't market yeah. other than just posting stuff on your Instagram page. Do you think a healthy portion of that is because you are so technical, like an engineer, like, like that isn't a comfort zone for us. I, I, I'm, right. I'm terrible with it too. And I was like, I don't know. It feels like I'm just going to waste money. I don't know what yeah. I'm doing here. And so I just focus on tech, like my beard oil business. I can tell you every ingredient that's in it and why that ingredient matters for your beard. And like the ratio of the beard balm to everything else to make it melt at the perfect temperature. So you can spread it with your hands. Yet when you put it in, yeah. it holds. I don't mark it. And I think it's because I'm technical based. I don't have that experience versus like if you went to marketing school at Purdue and you worked yeah. in the marketing department of your company, you probably wouldn't really care what the what the radar says. It's just people like it and they buy it and there's a craze. And this, you know, I built my company on the marketing, not on the technical yeah. analysis. And yep. so that's why I'm kind of curious because I feel like you've fit, you've tested your demographic. Like you've tested your product against the demographic and it obviously works. Like people love those fletches so now i yeah. feel like when you add marketing to that that's when it's really adding gasoline to an already burning fire we had um podcast number eight would be a really good one for you because it was with okay. milo mccannon and he does his company is outdoor e-commerce but he really looks at how to design successful advertising campaigns for companies and he says you really need to be a certain size before it really works because you don't know if you've tested the market sufficiently mm -hmm. or did you just sell into your personal network like did people just buy your stuff because they know you and they're like oh i'll yep. support kyle or i'll support brian well he said when you do that it, you, if you start too soon you're just pouring gasoline on a wood pile that's not going to start yep. a fire like you need a fire to go first and then when you pour gasoline on it it works so like if you I don't know, have you done, like, Google Pixel to your Shopify store yet? No. Oh, uh, we need to get you We were you talking going. just beforehand, and it's like, uh, I, my buddy Ben actually helped me, did most of the heavy lifting on it to get the Shopify going, because I switched from Squarespace to Shopify. And um, it was just because everybody that I know uses Shopify, and they all are like, it's so much easier, it's so much easier. And from what I've seen, it is easier, but there's a lot that I'm still digging into, and like on the marketing side of things, I've had people that are like, don't say it that way. People don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I don't care. Like this is, I'm not <laughs> well, going to say. If your product is truly that good, which it is, you yeah. don't need marketing. Like it sells itself. Right. Like, right. You developed a product that sells itself, which yeah. is great. And I'm differentiating myself from other veins where they have yeah. no math to back it up. Like any vein, there aren't any other veins out there that are, that were developed 
from the ground up using this software and right. these techniques that I'm talking about. Like it doesn't exist. I've talked to guys that worked at uh, both big companies that everybody knows. Yeah. And they're like, no, this or that vein, none of them were developed using CFD. Like none of the big companies you've ever heard of in your life were developed using CFD, any of their profiles or anything. You're talking about so like, computational fluid dynamics? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Okay. It's So CFD is uh, computational fluid dynamics. So it's like you see the, the airflow going around. You see it a lot with IndyCars and F1 where you could see the airstreams and it's a computer simulation of the flow of the air. And so uh, yeah. none of them were developed using that. So it's like, like when I go in to buy a TV, I usually know more about the TV I'm buying than somebody that's selling it to me. But if I go in and, and a guy is selling me a TV and he goes, this is the button to turn it on and look at that. It's, it's really bright. You want one? I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I want to know. Yeah. HD and blah, blah, blah. Even if I don't understand it, right? I want to know what the technical aspects are. I want to know that this guy knows what he's talking about. I want to know why I should buy this one versus that one because they both are bright. They both have on buttons. And so my getting too technical at some point, and again, with my day job, it's the same thing where I, I'll give, go in and give presentations over very technical things that like I have to figure out ways to say them in order to get them to where people can understand them to a point, but also I want people to know that, yeah, this is a guy that knows what he's doing. He's done his homework and it's not marketing. Like if you, if anybody wanted to ask me a million questions about my veins, I would answer every single question. Like well, it's not, you clearly love them. Fake. You have a huge passion. Yeah. For yeah. Them. Yeah. So, and the homework's done. Like I'm not a con man. I can't, I, a con man is an overconfidence person that can sell anything because right. they can just BS you to death. But me, it's like, no, I'll show you graphs i'll show you examples in real life i'll show you you know blah 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 just to to show like no the, the homework's done i've done all the homework on these and they, they work really well because i've done the homework so that was a big thing like I, I did a podcast with pj from uh lancaster yeah and it was the same thing he asked you know how do you convey to people that you know your veins are actually done this way versus everybody else's and it's like i just give them as much information as i can and it's like if it's if it's beyond what they're what they want to know. Cause a lot of guys, they're way smarter than I am. They can understand this stuff, but if it's not something they're obsessed with, which I am, then it's like, this isn't important to them, but they can at least see the back of like my, my card and they can right. see the air moving around it. And they're like, wow, well, that's a, and that's if a they thing. hear you talk, like even if an average person that never is in tech, like might be marketing would be a great example, right? Yeah. Not technically minded at all. Does not know what CFD stands for. Does not even know what it means or what it does. But if they hear you talk, you can't fake uh, noise. Yeah, you can't fake what you're saying. Like you can't yeah, make absolutely. that stuff up. So they'd be like, "Okay, I don't know what he's saying, but he clearly knows what he's talking about." So I, there's authenticity and trust there. Like I know I'm gonna buy his vein because I believe he knows what he's talking about when he's talking. Yeah. I can hear the passion. I know he's a smart dude when it comes to this stuff. And so that's yeah. its own form of marketing. I just think yeah, absolutely. If you so first of all, you can apply Google Analytics to your website for free. You can create the account and you, it's yeah. like button click, button click. And now Google starts tracking all of your user traffic and it can yes. pull demographics. So since you have a successful company, you're going to get a lot of data. Then yeah. when you get a year down the road, and, and I don't know if this is a desire for you or not, that's where it comes to you. But if you're like, you know what? I want to see if we can hit the next gear. Like I'm kind of thinking oh, yeah. about stepping down from my day job and seeing if I can do this full time. But to do that, I need to shift you know, maybe two gears, right? Yep. 
And now you can take that year's worth of data. And if you want to either do it yourself or bring it to somebody and say, hey, help me with my advertising plan, my marketing strategy, they're going to look at you with like rainbows in their eyes. Like I have never had a customer come to me with this much data. And now you know exactly what your demographic is. So you can dial your ads right in and you you'll have a way higher conversion rate and it's free. Like you can do it right now for free. Yeah. That was part of the reason I switched to Shopify because I have friends that are, like you said, they understand that kind of stuff and the the analytics and the conversion rates, my conversion rates on my website are insanely high. That's because you don't market. So people know they're buying your arrows before they go to your website. Yeah. They, they go, (laughs) yeah, they go to buy the veins from the website. Uh, like I do as many custom arrows builds as I can, but honestly, like I can't do as many as I want because it's me and another guy fletching and it takes forever to fletch an arrow. So, um, until I can speed that process up, like I've hired people and if they come in, they'll be into it for a little bit and then they get burned out on it or they just kind of lose the passion for it. And so, then they're like, oh, I'm kind of done. Here's a question that's right up your alley. Cause you're a mechanical yeah. engineer. Couldn't, couldn't you fletch an arrow better with a robot than you could do it yourself? Yes. So could you have like a cobot arm, like a little fanic cobot arm and a 12 fletch jig right there. And you just, you load each arrow and you put a program in and that arm just puts every fletching on and then puts it and puts another fletching on. Is that the plan right there? The whiteboard with the master plan of how to get this robot set up? Yep. On the whiteboard, I have a, a fletching, a way to fletch arrows just using, it's fully automated. But uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer, and I need programming on side of it too. So uh, it's it's in the works. But it, there's other things to work out uh, just to get everything to work perfectly. But it's it's really really close. Uh, but Do you already yeah, have the robot? It, no. Uh, oh, okay. But I've 3D printed some components of it just to kind of see. Okay, so it would do this, and then it would do that, and then it would do this. And I have friends that do that kind of work, but uh, they're you know, I, I don't want to monopolize their time unless I'm ready. Like I need it to do this and that and do it this way and do it that way kind of thing. Well, the nice but thing with yeah, PLC it, it, that's is what I'm it's saying. I can't hire more people, language. but I can do it faster. You could, you could understand how to program most of the, like a cobot. Cause the, you just yeah. got to look for one that's got the tolerances you're looking for. That's what's going to yeah. be hard learning. It's not hard because you can, you can test and you're like, Nope, he missed by X, you know, yeah. millimeters and so then i just adjust that and try again adjust it try again adjust. okay now i now i have the first vein process done so i save that code snippet now i'm going to say okay now let's rotate this arrow because we need to you know right you have to take it out of the jig rotate it uh what would it be 135 degrees 120 degrees yeah and so now you have to test that out you know and then you once you get all these little snippets you stack it up and you say, now I have a profile that I run and I hit go and it'll just do it. Wait till the glue sets enough, move that arrow. But you could just do like 12 in a row. So then at that point, you're just loading arrows. Yeah, and if you really wanted to go nuts, you would just put it close enough to your arrow like stockpile. And you're like, okay, my black eagle rampages are all, my 300 rampages are always in this spot. And so if you get a vision system, then it can look for the next arrow shaft and grab it and put it in. Yeah. So like on mine, like I do a custom wrap basically on every arrow that I make. And if it's not a custom arrow wrap, then uh, people like get my stock arrow wraps. Like these are really cool. These are the buck topo. So it's a, it's a buck. And then it's got like the front of it is trees. And then it goes into a topo pattern. And then it goes white, but it's a, it's a super cool kind of pattern to look mm-hmm. at. And a lot of guys, I have this one and I have an elk 
topo, which is it has an elk uh, instead of the, the buck there. But um, so the way this one works is you would I would go through, I would I would cut it, I would uh, spine align it, I would put the wrap on it, I'd put the knock in it, and then you know it wouldn't be fletched. I would load them into the machine and then they would just speed down in the machine and then out the other end would come a, a fletched arrow. So it would be all set up to do that. The, the, the difference between like the way electrical engineers work and mechanical engineers work, that's how an electrical engineer works is what you said. The way a mechanical engineer works when they can't do the electrical side of it. You just make, a, make, you make the, a feeding system with metering yeah. and you just like, I want pulleys and gears. This thing's going to rotate. An arrow's going to drop in it. Then it's going <laughs> to rotate it again and put it in a tray. And then the tray knows, you know, I get it. I work, used to work for a packaging automation company as an yeah. intern. And so we had oh, both yeah. electricals and, um, and uh, mechanical guys, we work out the, the blocks of it. So I'm doing all the solid blocks and I just kind of use my, fingers or something okay the robot would do this and then this would come up like that and then this would do this and then that would do that and we work it all out mechanically and then we add the robots to it in a minute you guys do the electrical first i work with a lot of electrical we just come up with the robot and we're like test it nope tweak it test it tweak it test it tweak it yeah yeah it'd be cool but yeah i think that would really be a good fit for you just to start gathering that data um and it's, I just, I plugged it into my website earlier this year and it's fun to just watch it yeah. crank. I mean, you get to really see some stuff. Um, yeah. and that helps. And yeah, Shopify hands down, like, I can't believe you were doing what you were doing with Squarespace, like handling that order volume. Cause Shopify has got all those tools embedded in it for my reports, my taxes, it takes care of all of that stuff. Your, yeah. your order fulfillment process is super easy with Shopify. Everything is streamlined. I use yeah. Squarespace for podcasting because Squarespace is better at creative. It's better at content. Like I can add more pages. I can add blogs. Yeah. I can I can make a more dynamic website. Shopify really doesn't do that. You have to have like a product page. You can't just make like random pages with text on them right. too easily. Yeah. I mean, you can get integrations for it, but and natively it doesn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Natively, I just like that. I like the... I like the bundle apps for Shopify. I have bundle apps. I have order subscription apps, which, you know, I don't know. Arrows might not fit a good model, but you could, like, if someone knows, like, hey, I'm just going to buy 12 arrows every year, like, they could subscribe yeah. and save, and, and then you can plan out that forecast. Yeah. One of the, the things that Squarespace did better than Shopify is, like, on my form. So I have a, a form when you go to do custom arrows, you fill that out. Oh yeah. You put in Way your, your weight and all that stuff. And input arrow. Yeah. Input uh, Shopify is horrible at that. Uh, Squarespace. It was like super easy to get all that set up. And it's free. Like, did, Shopify, you have to get like an app for it. Yeah, exactly. I did. So one of my neighbors, when I was starting out, it was like, Oh, let's get a web page just as kind of a sure. Why not? You know? And so we bought the Squarespace account and set that up. And then he got busy with his family stuff. And so I made my website and I hadn't like, I'm 46 now, I okay. think for a second. Um, but the last time I made a website, it was in college and it was HTML code. So it was just yeah. HTML code. And so I had to figure out how to do all the Squarespace stuff and get it to work. And it is pretty easy. But, it's just not yeah, tailored yeah. for product companies. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. Uh, it's good to, to like throw something at the wall and it will stick. But if you want to do things smoothly and have a, a nicely looking site and all that stuff, uh, then Shopify is, I think, the way to go. But yeah, I'm still, I'm still evolving it. Like with the two different veins, the thing I'm working on now is, uh, you know, like because people are like, which vein should I get? And so I'm creating this quiz that people take to ask all these different questions 
on which vein uh, would be better for their application. And there's a lot that goes into it. Arrow length, uh, which point you're shooting, you know, uh, how fast your arrow is going, all that stuff. I kind of filter into which vein uh, should I get. And so I'm, that's one thing I'm, I'm playing with now and trying to get going. But it's all new to me. Uh, my buddy Ben's helping me, but uh, it's still, I need to understand how it works so I can edit and change my own website if I need to. I, I can't give up that much control to somebody. Oh, well, hey, if you're ever bored and you're, you're looking for stuff, I mean, I can show you what I know with Shopify because I've been managing my own Shopify store, which isn't yeah. quite as complex. I mean, for like a custom arrow build, you're, you're basically taking an input form or you're doing a bunch of customization options, which Shopify doesn't have the best customization. Like the complexity, right. you run out of quick, right? If you have like different too many different options they only let you come out with like 80 configurations possible or something like that so yeah. but yeah no i like it i always i mean back up your site for sure like create backups every time like always back i have like 10 backups of my yeah like even well, if it's I the simplest thing up, i haven't messed everything up too much like when i do something because i use extremely complex systems at work like my day job they're yeah oh yeah ugh, sap sucks (laughs) it's um, funny because i have an sap issue at my job right now that i have to call in the help desk to fix oh (laughs) when i talk to anybody about that it's just like you could see the you know the 100 yard stare in their eyes like yeah when i i was the first person to use it at my company on a project and i worked from eight in the morning until eight at night for six weeks to do workflow management what's that like to workflow management doing workflow management yeah and it was like I was the first one to do it. And then we had this huge meeting where we go through every step and there's 50 people in the room and they're going through it. And I'm like, I did this and I did that and I did that. And they would time how long, like they were running a project in front of all these people and then they were timing it. And then somebody was going back and like, all right, for these projects, it would take this long. And it was six weeks. And it was like, cause everybody was like, get it done faster, get it done faster. And it was like, yeah, I'm doing everything I can. And then it was good because it, at the end, it was like exactly six weeks, and I was like, "That's how long it takes to do this stuff. That's why we need to get rid of it." So you're not uh, you're not to the point where you're going to add SAP to DCA custom arrows. I I will say it on the podcast. I will never add SAP to anything. I don't care how big it gets. Whatever. I will I will sell the company before I do that. But no, I mean just streamline my business. I actually I mentioned this before we got started, but the I did talk or send an email to Josh to try to get uh, kind of his input on some things. I know he's in a different state. I'm in Indiana. So I was asking him if that's a possibility. And I'm sure he'll be back to me soon. Oh, 100%. But, um, he can. So with the counting, there's, it's not like realtor's license. Like he's, he's licensed yeah. for the entire country to do um, CPA work. And, you know, I'm remote too. He's technically in North Dakota. I'm in Minnesota. And so yeah. I upload, he has a secure link. I upload all my documents. Um, we have a strategy and a kind of a goal. I'm not big enough yet where we're really pulling a lot of tax levers. Um, but I have some levers that we're trying to pull and I just upload all my documents and then he, he, um, does his thing. And Mm -hmm. since I've been using Josh, he charges me like 350 bucks a year to do my taxes. And he does my personal and my business taxes all in one because I'm a DBA sole prop. So I, it all rolls up on my same 1040 and, since I've been doing that, I've been averaging well over a 10x return on my yep. like, tax savings than yep. I'm paying him to do the work. And I don't have to worry about it. That's the nice thing. Like now I have templates. Like I know exactly how much my home office is in square footage. I know yep. like all these different bills and things that count towards my deductions and, 
and I just send it off to them at the end of the year. I give them an update on the, on the business numbers and, and we just run with it. So I think it's, it's just a, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to get more into business planning and helping small businesses manage. Like he can do that quarterly or monthly, like take that burden off your chest. And, and it's probably what you probably find since you're technical based and you don't, and it doesn't sound like you enjoy doing it. Who who really does enjoy doing taxes? But exactly. Like you're finding like your books, right? Like yeah, you'll probably find like yeah, it costs me money, but I get that money back in the end of the year because he's doing a good job planning my tax liability yeah. and managing my tax liability. That it really isn't costing me any money. Plus, it takes all this time off my shoulders and all the stress. Like even yeah. if you're not actively doing it, you're just worried about like oh, next week I got to do these taxes and I know it's going to be or- a bear and. How much is it going to cost? Because like when we get money in, like I, I charge sales tax in Indiana, but you, you're taxing all the money you bring in. And so at the end of the year, people that own their own businesses pay a lot more in taxes than everybody else. It's like my wife about fell over when she saw how much we paid in taxes, but it was like, well, what entity are you? I'm an LLC right now, but I'm switching to an S corp. Well, that LLC is a, a, a protection vehicle. It's not a corporation entity so you right. can yeah I you can have an s corp and an llc or are you saying you used to be a sole prop with a llc to protect your assets and now you're yes. switching to a sub yeah you will yep. save i think some money i think where it comes into it is um you get double dinged as a sole prop because you have your unemployment taxes not only that but you so with an s corp and i know nothing about this but we so we have a really 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 good financial planner that helps us out with like my business and then andy's a hunter um, yeah, so he funny. gets what you're like, trying to do. Yeah, exactly. He's he wears a suit. And he's very you yeah. know, really good guy. Very talking to everything. But like, if I pointed to him and I said that guy's a hunter, you'd be like, I don't know about that. But a, a big dude and like, yeah. If you saw him in camo, you'd be like, that dude's a hunter. But if you see him in a suit, you're like, that dude's a nice dude. That's like a business guy. Mm-hmm. But he uh, so he sits down with us all the time, and he's like, all right, you know, you have this much coming in. Let's look at this and make sure you're deducting this. Make sure you're deducting that. Make sure you're doing this. And so all this information is kind of based on what he said, but this is not my area of obsession. Right. Banes and arrows are my area of obsession. And so, um, but he's like, do this and this and this. And then our, our current tax people are not to his level, but he's always like, you know, with an S corp, you'll pay yourself a salary. And so out of the money you make, you'll pay yourself a salary. And then the rest of that money, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but out of the rest of the company money, you're not taxed on that until you use it. And so it's kind of a way to to store money uh, on the side. You're not taxed because when you're an LLC, a sole proprietorship, then you're it's basically personal money that you're bringing in, and that's all taxed all the time. Well, I think it gets double dinged too sometimes. And I, I said unemployment taxes, which is not. I think it's self employment so, tax. Oh, okay, yeah. You get a self employment tax plus you get a like a income tax. I mean, it's you you basically get double dinged. And for some people, it really works out better to have a corp. Whether it's an S corp, or, I mean, you, you don't really need a C corp. That's way too big. Um, but the <laughs> LLC yet. is just a protection to say this is separate. What I'm doing here is separate from my house. And you can do a sole prop in an LLC. You can do real estate in an LLC. Any that's that technically isn't how you're taxed. That's just how you're protected. Um, yeah, exactly. Like but, my uh, so when I was 15 until I went to college, I raced go karts. Like I was sponsored and like you know. I had to make a decision either go to school or continue racing. That's how serious it was. But like um, me and my dad incorporated into an LLC with our race team so that if anything, you know, I'm racing and a tire flies off and hits somebody, they couldn't take 
our house, they would take our, our trailer, the go-kart, my right. helmet, you know, whatever, just racing related stuff. And so that's kind of how we use that. Perfect. Yeah. And you're not really making money. Well, you're sponsored, so you get a little bit, but it's more so for the protection. That's what an LLC is yeah. for, is to protect your personal assets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, so you don't have to get into the numbers, but do you draw, do you really draw a paycheck from DCA Custom Arrows, or do you just turn everything around and put it right back into the company? I turn everything around and put it right back into the company. I mean, it's like, um, the goal would be to switch from my day job to just doing this full time, and it's getting there. Um, you know, being able to sell product instead of arrows is a huge advantage because number one, it's what I like to do. Product development is like what I love to do. And I've worked with other companies. Mm -hmm. I, I work for Bile Archery um, and I've worked for other companies too, kind of just helping with product development. People come to me with a product and they'll be like, how could this be better? And I'll let them know this, this, or this, you know, change that. And I, I have a lot right. of people that send me stuff like that in the hunting and community. Um, that's what I love to do. And so the, the building the arrows, I actually, I'm one of the weird people that really enjoy building arrows, but, uh, like I love fletching. It's just relaxing. Yeah. You know, I watch it. I watch it. Yeah. It's and you're done and you know, you're like, you know, you know, look what I did. And it's, you it know, cool. not only that, but you get the, uh, you get all the guys that are like, you know, our age where, you know, anybody anywhere from 30 to, you know, 50 or whatever. And the best thing is like when I, when I, send somebody arrows and I, like, I always take a picture of them and it's really nice. And, you know, I, it's like an Instagram quality picture I send to them. And then, uh, you know, a 35 year old guy is like, I know they're going to be here today. And they like run down their stairs and they're like, I'm not going to lie. Like I've had multiple guys tell me this. I felt like I was six years old again when I opened that box. Like I was just so excited. And when I opened it up, they were more than I expected. They looked perfect. And they were like, I was just like all giddy, like a little kid at Christmas again. Yeah. It's like, that's why I do this. You know, it's just that to give somebody like we, if we need something, we get it. And normally, you know, when we buy something, it's like boxes and shipping tape and, you know, junk like that, just stuff that we need to go. Um, where when you get uh, a free, fresh custom set of arrows, then uh, it's, it's like Christmas again, but it's the same thing with the veins, you know, people, right. I undersell the veins and when they get them, they shoot them. They're like, you know, Holy crap. Like I had two messages this morning when I got up, and switch my phone from airplane mode over. And they were just like, these things are gorgeous. I, I couldn't tell you how much I got them. I went out and shot them. They're perfectly quiet. You know, I I'm so in love with them. Your veins are awesome. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's why I do it. It's just, uh, to, to have that, like we talked about before, I don't have any marketing the veins sell themselves, or I just kind of put them out there and people buy them. And when one guy's shooting the range, the next guy will see it. And then, you know, it kind of just propagates that way. It, they're good enough to, to do that. Um, but yeah, the, the business side of things, like I switched Shopify. I started QuickBooks because I'm trying to tie everything together and, yeah, you know, be able to do my taxes or get somebody my taxes. That's in a much cleaner way where it's, you know, it's not like I have to shut down for three days to track down numbers and everything. So, yeah, you definitely want to autopilot that because it's, it's not additive to your business, right? Like right. you're not increasing revenue by doing your taxes. It's time away from increasing your revenue. But one thing you could do to not have a tax bill is, you know, now that you're incorporated, your marketing is counts against your income. So yeah, now that now now that you get your your analytics set up and you get ready and you, you say, all right, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna dabble, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try that. Well, all of that comes off your tax liability. So you're you know you can't really say like, oh, I'm saving money. You're just getting a 
right. a discount. But if it works, you really are saving money. Right, like, exactly. I would it's... rather have $75 post-tax than zero, but if the $100 I spent on this advertising thing got me $100 in sales or revenue, then it worked, and now I really am, you know, hitting those next gears because then that's what, like, Milo talks about in that episode eight when you can start to look at, like, your LTV or your average order and your average profit per – so, like, cost of acquisition, right? That's the first one. How much does it cost to acquire a new customer? You could say, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to cost me $15 in ads. By the time they see it over and over and over again, they finally click and buy, right? Well, what's your you know, what's your average order volume and what's your profit on that average order? Like if it's custom arrows, you're probably doing a lot better than if it's just veins. So you might have different, you know, mark different buckets that you're thinking about. But if you can get it where your first order has more profit than the cost to acquire the order in advertising, that's, you know sustainable growth that you can really just start to amplify. You can just increase the budget and let's grow. Or yeah. if you can't, because like with the vein, you're probably not going to get that return on the first order. So now you start looking at LTV, like lifetime value of this customer. And yep. you say, okay, I need to get them three orders that the three order mark I'm profitable. So now how can we do that? How can we get the products and the marketing to swirl that? But the, the goal is to really figure out how can we get that? So it's sustainable. And then, I know and I have the confidence to say, if I spend $100, I'm going to get $120 back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, before, like how bad I am at this business side of things is like, I wasn't even tracking because like I build uh, Giannis's arrows and Donnie's arrows and uh, other people's arrows. I build them for free. You know, like I put them together and everything like that. I wasn't even tracking that. So um, what I do is uh, now through Shopify and all that stuff. I like write orders and I keep track of that money because that's advertising. Like Giannis now is posting all kinds of pictures on his Instagram where, you know, it's him drawing back, like on my webpage, there's a picture of him drawing back with the profile of the vein. And so that's advertising money for me. And I need to be counting that as advertising to be able to deduct that from yeah. my- Anytime uh, I send somebody for something for free, I'll put in a full order and then I discount it. So it gets yep, saved as thing. an order. Yep. But I wasn't doing that before. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm losing all kinds of stuff because the custom arrows are, are not cheap. That's for sure. But well, it's, if you can uh, document the them, better. if you can document them, like there's a window where Josh might be able to go backwards and adjust your previous tax returns. Yeah. If it's worth yep. it. I mean, if you did like 12 custom arrows and it, you know, like what is a, what does a dozen arrows cost for a custom build? Are we talking like 20, 30 bucks an arrow, 50 bucks an arrow? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's over, you know, three, three thirty or three fifty uh, a set. So for 12. Okay. And so it's roughly $30 per arrow. And then, so if you did, um, if you did one or two a year, you're like, ah, it's probably not worth going back and adjusting right. my filing. But if you did like 20, then yeah. yeah, for sure it would be worth going back and adjusting your filing. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to do because like, I know, you know, I built this many arrows for this person or that person or that person. And like, I don't have any contracts with Donnie or Giannis or anything. They, the only reason that I do it is because they, they trust me to build their quality components. And you know, there's going to be a kickback. Like when Giannis is posting his arrow on meat eaters or his page, like, you know, people are, you know, going to buy what's, I'm just, well, that's not a good question to ask. I'm not going to ask that question. I'll ask you offline (laughs) because I'm curious, but uh, we don't have to talk about it in person. But the, what I was going to ask you is, um, ah, shoot. What was I going to ask you? I had a question. 
and I forgot. We were it. talking about advertising and using products for advertising and how to deduct. Oh that. yes, I remember now. Do you do any sponsorships, affiliate marketing, any like, you know, this podcast is, you know, like the Western Rookie podcast is decently big. And like, yeah. do you ever do like a use the code Western Rookie to save 10% on a custom arrow build? Like, do you have the product margins that you can start to do that and then just cast a wider net? I suppose you, is, you said you don't really want to do that because you're not set up yet to increase your supply. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, you know, the, the turnaround and the, uh, the payback on custom arrows, I make a margin on that. I make a margin on veins, but it's also like for me to do a custom set of arrows, it's like, how much time does that take me? And then on the product side, it took me two years to make this, the super saver vein, but now I'm selling them. And so for me to, you know, the product, margin that i could make by running downstairs my basement getting a a box and coming up and shipping them out which i was doing this morning um then as opposed to you know talking on the phone to a half hour with somebody getting all the components together for the arrow uh doing the the design of the wrap sending the wrap to the the, uh, my wrap guy is like three minutes away um but like sending it to him going to get him getting him building the arrows you know putting everything together the amount of work that i have to do on a custom set of arrows is significantly more than product and so that's why i'm trying to like i still love to build arrows and i still am going to build arrows but like focusing a little bit more of my business on the product side of things rather than uh, all the effort on the the custom arrow side of things well the one thing is nice that you can focus like you could do that with pro- like your products too and just say save 10 percent on your arrow accessories or arrow components yeah. um if you have the margin to handle like if that's worth it to you because like it's going to be cheaper to get a customer with a 10% discount code than it is to get a customer with a paid ad. Yep. And on, on my website. So if you go to it now and uh, it's your first time there, it'll give you a 10% discount right off the bat. Uh, so it's just something to incentivize people to right. give them a try. So then in I mean, that I know case, it might be like 15% or something. And yeah. then, but yeah, so that's the thought is like push them towards those entry level products you sell and be like, yeah, buy a set of veins and take it to your shop and get them yep. fletched or buy the, the tips. But once they know it's like, hey, this company's figured it out, then they'd be like, yep. I think the next time I buy arrows, I'm just going to order some DCA customs. And maybe by then you are set up with the automation to really increase yep. your custom order business. Yeah, but I, I've been trying to do that for a long time. And the, the other side of it is like, like I love doing podcasts like this because it gives me a break from my day-to-day job. And there's tons of stuff. It's it's yeah. right before season. So like we talked about, everybody's wanting arrows. And I have tons of wraps sitting on my table over there that I have to figure out and everything. But it's like, I just like to do this stuff to talk to more like-minded people and more business-oriented people to figure out that side of things. But as far as like developing a process to fletch arrows and all that, it's it's an ongoing process. Like I, my wind tunnel to the design and construction and figuring out how to do all that stuff, it took uh, a couple of years to do that too because in, in normal wind tunnels, like an F1 car or something like that, it's very big. And so you can hold it by things that won't affect the, the per, a large percentage of the airflow. So, you know, a big car, you can have little things measuring things off the side of it. But with an arrow, it's very, very small. And like the forces that we're looking at are actually very little. Yeah. And so being able to hold like it. Measurement bias. Stuff. If you start to measure it, you're yeah. already biasing the, you know, yeah. that's what you're and talking about. And if you about. had an arrow and you're like, holding an arrow in a wind tunnel by your hand here, you're not going to get like good data from it because you have a giant, you know, piece of stuff in there and, and bothering it. So, uh, you know, that stuff took a while to figure out, but 
I'll get the automation figured out eventually. Well, that's um, what engineering is, right? Solving problems. Yeah. And you've been an engineer your whole life, plus you've solved all these problems for DCA. So then it's just the next problem that came up was yep. how do I scale, right? The first problems yep. were how do I design it? How do I build a custom arrow? Like all this stuff. I build the wind tunnel, the radar, the CFD. Great. Got all those problems solved. Now a new problem showed up, which is entrepreneurship. People yep. want them. And I don't have time yeah. to make them. So now that's just the next problem. And you'll solve that just like you solved everything else. Yeah. It's just involving more people. And for people that are, I'm very, very uh, particular. I'm an engineer. I'm very particular. And so yeah. like anybody, like I said, I've had multiple guys that have worked for me. I have one guy, uh, Tyler, that works for me now. But like I tell people when they start and they, I'm interested in doing this. I'd love to work for you. I'd love to build arrows. Like, great. And when I order wraps, I order about three sets of wraps for that set of arrows. And then I'll, I'll be like, I'm going to let you build these. I, I let them watch me build arrows and then we build arrows together. And then uh, they take a set home, they try it. And I'm like, I'm going to find nine things wrong with the arrows when I get it back. Don't take it personally. I was like this, when I make an arrow, I want it perfect. Yeah. And when I deliver an arrow to somebody, like, you know, when they go out and the first arrow that they pull out of their box is the arrow that you're working on. So it needs to be perfect. Right. Like every arrow is perfect. That's and where I think like, you'll I'm, really not, you'll, you'll enjoy that automation because you can yeah. start to control everything. Yeah. I could get it dialed down to exactly where I want and it. It's so and repeatable. I'm used to working. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I have a lot of, a lot of it figured out, but not all of it figured out. So uh, it, it'll be pretty sweet, uh, but it's taking that step. It's a big investment uh, time-wise and financially to, I think to you're, do that. Yeah. So you're looking, it time. sounds like you're targeting more of a production line approach where I was thinking more just a cobot arm to replace what your hands are doing. So then you would just learn, teach, like you really, it's called a teach function or a learn function, but you just bring it down and do it and then yeah. hit record. And then it saves that action and it can just repeat that action. But then that, that's not really a production line. That would be like right. you're, you're programming the arm to pick an arrow, put it in the jig, rotate it, put a fletch on, put the glue on, wait 10 minutes to set it up, then switch. You know, that's just replacing an arm. It's not building a line. It sounds like you're going right. to that next level of like, I'm going to build a line. Yeah, this would be a small tabletop kind of system. It's would not you like, like load large... 12 arrows and then walk away? Is that the thought? Load 12 arrows, load your fletches, load your wraps, walk away. And are you printing your wraps on like a crisper or a cry cut? No. Sorry. Uh, that's so I'm here in Noblesville and coincidentally, like the way our community works, I have friends and one of my friends was like, man, I think there's a guy that prints stickers. that's kind of by you, I think. And I go like for me to go from where I'm sitting right now to get them and come back, it would take six minutes. Like he's right outside my, Oh, my, so you just uh, upload the designs. You got like a template. Then, yeah, I just send them over to them. And then uh, a couple of days later, I go pick them up, they, depending on how busy they are. Because it's the funny thing is, it's like this huge company. I mean, they make 60 foot banners that are oh, you really? know, five foot tall and everything and big things. They do full cars. They do a lot of the work around here. And then he's a hunter, too, and just a buddy of mine now. And so um, I'm like, can you print some wraps for me? And they're like, yeah, we could do that. And I was like, would you want to do this, do more of this? And they're like, no. <laughs> so they don't want anybody else doing it. Like with me, we have a, like an oh. agreement I'll send them. And then I'm pretty lenient on, like I get them the design as quick as I can. So if it takes a week to get them, right. I get them back and, you know, we work on it that way, but uh, yeah, I can run out, get them and then come back. So no, it's a, 
they're the the good thing about my wraps too is they're printed on a 3m it's a car vinyl wrap okay and so, or sticker and so vinyl when uh you go to take them off like normally when you take veins off of or wraps off of an arrow uh you take them off and there's just it's just covered in goop and crap and you have right. to soak them in alcohol and then you have to like wipe them off like 15 times but with mine like i can just i could peel them off they stay extremely well so do my veins i mean you can and they're perfect oh wow yeah they st- that's how i test my arrows so when i get them in like that's what these are waiting on uh i test them and i kind of do this first and i just kind of push around on them and then every arrow i do that too and then i i check it i go back through it make sure that the foot is all the way down and everything's good but uh the wraps stay and they're great uh i've left uh an arrow outside on purpose and by accident so i put it out there just to test it through the winter and through the summer and everything and I was like, that's great. I went out and I looked at it after we had a harsh summer or harsh, harsh winter here last year, went out it's dug it out of the snow, pulled it up. Everything looks great. I put it back down and then I kind of forgot about it because I was like, just seeing, oh, look, held great. And I came back in and then I was like, oh crap, that arrow went back out. Everything's fine with it. So the adhesion and, you know, checking my veins to make sure that they're not affected by the, the heat or cold. Uh, you can, I, I put them in freezers. I actually took like these little pieces of arrow are what I make my vein angle tools out of. And I would take them and uh, put them in water and then uh, kind of hold them there and uh, put them in the freezer and freeze the arrow. And then uh, with the, the wrap, the vein, the adhesive, everything, and then break the ice off of it. And then I would do the same thing because oh, they'd wow. be extremely cold and they're fine. And a lot of veins, you cannot do that with. You can't roll them in your hands like that because it'll they'll break, they'll come off, they'll do right. you know, anything. But right. this material is actually, so I... I mold them again. I'm in Indiana. I mold them in Kokomo, Indiana. So it's 45 minutes from my house. So everything like on my insert, it's a, it has an American flag, but it's not, it says engineered and designed in Indiana, engineered and molded in Indiana. So it's not like us. It's like literally it's made here in Indiana. I know the guy right. that, you know, I buy him from, I drive up 45 minutes, talk to him, uh, get him from the molder. I know his wife. I know most of his family. And then I, put them in my Jeep and I come back home and I keep them down in my basement and I sell them out of there. That's really so, cool. So yeah, it's a, it's a very American made thing, but the, the wraps, the whole point of that was, you know, they stay on everything. But then when you peel them off, there's very, very little adhesive that's left on it because when you take a sticker off a car, you don't want to have to clean all that stuff off of a car. You want to clean release on it. So that's why I use those. Perfect. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got a lot of it figured out. I, I bet if we did a follow up technical details, yes. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I bet if we did a follow up podcast, like a year from now, your, your story is like, your journey is just going to leapfrog. You know? I, I hope man, that's like you're going to ask me, you're probably going to start doing some, you probably be like, Oh, I should plug in that free analytics thing. And then you'll start looking at the data and you're like, shit, I have a lot of data. I could, I could, I think if I did a marketing strategy, you know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to play around with this and maybe, and maybe you reach out to Milo and say, Hey, can we do like a little pilot? Can we do a little test? I can, I have this much budget. I'd like to see what we can do or, or podcast guest number five, Sam Aries. He has a digital marketing company or go out and reach. I could put you in contact with like, uh, um, Eric from the okayest hunter yeah. who does digital marketing as well. And there's a lot of people that could take that data and I think they would have, they, it would be a gold mine of like resource yeah. um, for them to help you grow because you have all the data to support your current customer base. And I think yeah. I just, I have a feeling knowing you and all the problems you've already conquered, you're going to just boom, 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 boom. 
Yeah. Taylor Coleman, actually, you know, and those guys uh, at Dialed Archery, they have a marketing company as well. So they do all the, the marketing for large, large companies. Are you uh, talking about gunpowder? No, uh, Taylor Coleman, they have, uh, I just blanked on the name. He's going to kill me, but they have a, a company that uh, okay. they do marketing as well. Uh, him and Jordan Riley, uh, I cannot think of the name of it right now, but um, anyway, they, they have that. And so I, I have people that are in marketing that can help me. And then right. a lot of people that are like, the, the, the biggest problem though, is like, we want to do this. And I'm like, that's not how I want to do things. Like I want to do it this right. way instead of that way. And they're like, but this will drive market. And I'm like, but I hate getting that crap. Like I, I look at everything as a consumer and I'm like, man, I don't want, I don't want 50 emails a week from a company. You know, I, I don't even oh, look yeah. at them. I just delete them. And so I'm like, it's, I don't want to say anything unless I have something to say. And then, you know, that right. kind of stuff. They're like, no, if you just flood their inbox with everything, then, you know, and this isn't Taylor, this is, the majority of people that uh, are my friends, most of my friends are in marketing that are kind of around my area. Okay. Uh, my One of my friends is the account uh, representative for Amazon for the company that I work at during the day. So he's a director level and deals multi-billion dollar company with Amazon. And he's always like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do that. I'm like, ah, yeah. And at some point I will, but I mean, I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be like the sellout, not that they do, but I don't want to be a sellout. I want people to know, this is what Kyle wanted to say and because it's awkward. Like he is, you know, that's, that's my market. Uh, people <laughs> want an engineer and, and uh, they're like, it's, if it's too wordy and you know, blah, blah, then that's probably Kyle. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say anything unless I have something to say, because I feel like if you, if you talk too much and you send too much, then people miss the message of what you're trying to sell. And I, I do have more stuff coming. Like I have my super saber vein, my mini saber vein and I have a third vein that I started and almost finished, but then the mini saber actually outperformed what I thought it was going to be able to do. Like it's doing things that I didn't think it was going to be able to do. And so now I'm rethinking that third vein and doing something a little bit different with it. Plus I want to get the minis out there and get them going. And then uh, right now I have uh, white, orange, green, pink, and yellow. I'm going to be expanding that uh, in the near future, but not the immediate future. But again, I store everything in my basement. So it's like my growth has to be a certain way in order for me to figure the steps out when I get past. Yeah, you got to do numbers. intentional growth. Like you couldn't just, you know, quantum leap your your sales because you can't handle the volume right now and the workflow. Right. And then you start, you know, trailing behind on your delivery dates and no one wants that. I mean, I'm sure the customer's like, oh, I don't care, but you do. You know, like you're behind the yeah. scenes and you care. You want it to be a, a good experience for the customer. You want them to get their stuff on time. And so... Yep. Yeah, I, I completely get it. I mean, I you want sustainable growth, not uncontrolled growth. Yeah, and my my big step is going to be finding somebody else because I like the Lancaster orders, uh, my Mulder and Kokomo handles, and the bigger orders for different uh, um, other archery company, archery shops, and arrow builders. I do some of those. They do some of them depending on the size of the order. But like you know, my time is not best spent packing up boxes of arrows it's working on arrows or it's working right. you know on developing the next vein or it's working on doing this but um i have two boys that I, i'm trying to drag in but they're uh they're young and they have other interests and so i don't want to make them do things that you know right. i want to be little kids i don't want them to work in a factory yeah 
Yeah, you gotta find the right finding people's hard. I mean, you'll you'll get there. Like, yeah. hi, like hiring people is you're thinking everything like figuring out your automation line is gonna be the hardest part, but it's probably gonna be no. finding the right people and keeping the yeah, right people. A hundred percent. Like I said, I've had there are four people that don't work for me now that used to, and it's just like uh you know it's a weird skill to be able to fletch an arrow because you have to really be focused. You have to love it. You have to be detail oriented, but it's a repetitive process. So it's like, that's a bad yeah. combination. Normally if you're just like, you know, picking something up and putting it in a box, you can do that. But um, if you're really technical and you need to be able to do something, uh, then it's, it's a weird skill set. but, um, and you have to find them local. And, you know, I don't, I work out of my house. Like this is my office. Right. And, uh, I'll have to go to the next step of getting a, a, a more permanent location, storing everything there. But then when you do that, you have that, that jump where you're investing a lot into it and you have to make sure that that profit's going to come uh, with that growth. So yeah, it's chicken or the egg kind of situation, really. Those are the fun problems though. That's why we do it. To, to that, I mean, that's why people start businesses to, to conquer those problems of like, do I invest in a person or do I invest in a production line or do I invest yeah. in a storage facility or do I invest in an office or do I invest in marketing to grow the sales? Like what's the current need and just being dynamic and being able to make those choices yourself. That's, that's why we do it. And that's yeah. like, your story is exactly why I started this podcast to like inspire yeah. more people to get to that point where they're like, I think I'm going to have to move out of my basement. I, this thing's yeah. going so good. I mean, like I don't, I'm going to have to go find a, an officer. I'm going to have to hire some help or like, those are the, that's, those are the problems we sign up for to do this. Yeah. It's honestly like I, I didn't intend on doing this so the way I got into it. My buddy, uh, TJ, who owns like half rack and rack hub, if you've heard of that. And if you want another guest about business, this guy's, he really enjoys the business side of things. He'd be a, a good guest as well. Uh, yeah. I'll give you his name. TJ Eads is his name, but I'll give you his contact information. But, um, you know, he loves that side of things. And I got into it. He was developing the stuff for rack hub and I was making my own arrows. I, I restrung my own bow before I knew you shouldn't do that. And then uh, <laughs> I, I restrung it and I, I went into the office and I said, Hey, I, I restrung my bow. And he goes, Oh, and he goes, you mean you had the shop do it? And I go, no, I just ordered the strings. And then I used a cable press to, you know, hold the like bow a together. ratchet strap. No, no, no. It's real. It's a, it's a horrible way to do it. Do not do this at home, but they sell one that you turn and it pushes the cable down and it pulls the limbs together. Uh, and it has, you know, the hooks and everything like that. Some people will know what I'm talking about. I have a real bow press now, but, uh, when I first started, yeah. I had that, I, I ordered the strings. I put it in the bow press. I redid the string and I said, no, I just, I just did it. And he was like, he just shook his head and he was like, do you still have all your fingers? And I was like, yeah do people not do that? And he goes, I've been shooting archery since I was like five and I've never, ever done that. And yeah. I'm, you if know, you don't have a bow press, like a lot of people have bow presses and they can switch yeah. out their own. Yeah. But not, that's like, that's like when you try to do front end work on your truck and you ratchet yeah. strap your coil springs together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was, it, it was the tool to, it was allegedly the tool to do it, but you know, the, the, the little uh, steel stamp steel hooks they had on it, you know, by the end of it, they were kind of stretching out Ooh, boy. after I'd done it a few times. And I was like, uh, this is not how I go. get but, why people don't do this. Yeah, exactly. But I, at the time I didn't know, but anyway, I, so I, I did my own arrows and I was just kind of playing around different point weights, messing with the stiffness of the spines and adjusting the length of the arrows and all that stuff just for myself to figure it out. And cause I just enjoy shooting. 
And then he was like, Hey, can I, can I get a set of those? And I was like, yeah, I could probably do that. And so I did a set for him. And then he had a buddy that had a set that wanted a set. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Maybe I could do five sets a year and I would be able to buy, you know, a dozen uh, arrows, you know, to, to play with. And then I could kind of do a little more playing on my own. Right. And uh, then those people had people and then those people had people. And then it just blew up. I mean, like, I was like, I like, even with the veins and stuff like that, I tell people all the time, I was just a, like a serious nerd sitting in my, in my office doing something. And then like, I open the door and everybody's like, we like what you're doing. And I'm like, I do not believe you. You know, it's like, it's just, right. this is, I'm a nerd. I know I am. And this is not how things work. You know, it's like, usually you, you're, you open up and people are like, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I'm used to people saying that, but no, it, it just blew up that way. So I didn't even intend. In fact, my logo, um, we designed just screwing around because we would go to lunch. We would talk about his business and then the arrow thing started going a little bit more. And then it just, we doodled it and that's how it became what it is. <laughs> so I assume it's Davidson custom arrows. DCA legally it's uh it is just DCA custom arrows is the legal like trademark right name. but the D in DCA is your last name yeah Davidson okay so I was just it's Davidson custom archery custom oh. arrows is kind of what it became because like it'd be Davidson custom arrows custom arrows so it was Davidson custom archery but it's just DCA like it legally it has no yeah no that's uh, cool name. I think it's better that way just to but to know like it's kind of your name like it's your yeah. brand. It's your name. It's you. Like people buy. There's a million people that they could order custom arrows from. They've mm -hmm. been because they're. It's Kyle Davidson. Like this, I'm buying right. from him because he knows what he's doing. Like you're. Like you are your own brand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm actually looking at rebranding. So uh, instead of DCA custom arrows, it would just be Davidson Archery. So that's probably coming down the road. Uh, I've already got the name locked up. The funniest thing is like on my logo, not on this one, but like normally on my logo like on the card it has it's not my signature but it's kind of a signature font yeah and so uh it has my quote my signature on it and so when i submitted the new logo uh to get it just locked up here in indiana to kind of yeah lock it down uh they were like no you have to have the person's signature you have to have a letter from them authorizing you to use the signature and it's like it's my name you know, it's like, look at the name of the submitter and then look at the signature. It's the, it's me. It's the same person. So I have to write a letter to myself that it's okay to use my fake signature. <laughs> wow. That's funny. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah. But no, I'm curious. I, I would love to have you back on in like a year um, and yeah, do like a sure. second part and just hear the growth, hear about how much you love your new automation line, see what the next step is. I think like your journey is really exciting and it's high energy. I think a lot of people are going to be like, man, I want to do something now. I want to figure something yeah. out. I want to figure out a product. I, I just thought of a product, two product ideas yesterday, actually drastically yeah. different demographics, both in hunting, but it's like both and both of them are like, I would actually probably need a mechanical engineer for, but they're both really fun projects. Yeah. So, but we yeah. do, I mean, we're almost at two hours, which I think you set the record Kyle for the longest <laughs> bucks podcast so far. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. It's all good content, very high energy. Um, interesting stuff so I, I just let it roll because i knew it was worthwhile and it's going to be a great episode it's probably going to be one of our fan favorite episodes to be honest i mean it's awesome, something man. everyone is in like every, pretty much everyone shoots bows nowadays and and it's and, you know something a lot of people are going to find interesting from the from the output of your company but also the story of your company so yeah it's it's an interesting thing like i i didn't 
a lot of my friends are are looking to find products that they can sell and i just stepped into it i mean it was just me trying to figure it out for my own personal interest donnie vincent's actually the one that kind of pushed me into it um real quick he was talking to, I, I made a video on that's on youtube that says vein noise doesn't matter and then i was talking to him one time and donnie's a, a genuine soulful good dude and we'll talk for 45 minutes i think is the shortest conversation we've ever had but we were talking about it and talking about vein noise and he was like i hunt in alaska where it's dead silent it's cold there's nothing it's wide open and he said you know they hear the thump of the bow i know they can hear the arrow and that's what kind of pushed me into you know i used to actually work for a company that made starters and alternators and we worked on fans and the fan can't whistle and i was like i know how to do this i designed a vein that looked like that i shot it it was loud as hell i mean it was the loudest vein i've ever shot now i look back at it and i'm like of course it was right but um you know that's what kind of what got me into it and then uh once i did the vein it was like holy crap this is kind of a big thing and so uh i got a patent on it and so like my my veins are patented uh that just got through and then my vein angle tool is patent pending so it'll go through uh probably in the next year but the the vein angle tool or the super sabers both the minis and the and the supers are are both under that patent so uh, developing that IP is kind of a good thing for business, especially if you're kind of looking to sell and hopefully, uh, I'm not going to do this forever. And I want to sell and I want to travel with my wife and be around my kids when they're in college and things like that. So I really enjoy doing it, but I do have like a, an exit strategy that I want to do and, uh, be able to, to sell everything and kind of, uh, move out, enjoy, uh, the rest of my life with my wife and kids. So that's would the you, exit. <laughs> would you, in, would you be, in, would you entertain, uh, a soft exit? As in, I've built this to the point where it no longer needs me to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I when I do sell it, like something that I would like to do, and I would do anyway. Like even if, like I would have developed this vein anyway. If nobody existed in the world and it was just me, and I still had the resources I did to to kind of like develop right. this vein, I would have done it anyway. I'm just curious. And so, uh, yeah, when I do leave, uh, that will free up time for me to be able to think. And when I can. When I'm free just to think, that's when I have my best ideas is just, oh, I could do this, you know, because. Right. But uh, would you like actually sell the company and step away or would you just build it up, get the right people in place, the right processes in place? So it's still your company. You just don't have to show up at the office every day. You maybe possibly, you know, you're traveling, you call in, hey, how are things going? You know, things are going good, but hey, we're having, I was just curious what you think about this or that, you know, yeah. like getting to the next level where you're just guiding the ship, but someone else is operating. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to, uh, the more time that I have to, to think and play is what I'm, is my end goal. Like, yeah, I'm not somebody that would be on the couch ever. Like I work, I work seven days a week. Uh, my wife hates it, but like I work seven days a week and I think about this stuff all the time. I wake up at night thinking about this stuff. I watch cars thinking about aerodynamics and veins and, uh, what the next vein could be and what tricks I could pull with the next vein and the next other product. I mean, I have, like on my desk right now, I'm looking at three different products that I'm slowly developing. And, you know, I'm always, Ooh, that's a good idea. I could, I could do this. I could do that. And the less time I'm spending boxing up veins and building arrows and, you know, doing the, the that kind of stuff, the more time I would have to, to be able to play with stuff like that. So yeah, I would love to sell everything and just be on as a consultant and just developing mm -hmm. products or, um, get the right people in place and let the, the company run by itself. And then, uh, still be able to kind of jump in and, and play with things and answer big questions and stuff like that too. Man, I hope Down you get to that point. Sure. I hope you get to that point. Um, and before Thank we you. wrap up, 
give the listeners, um, give them the website where they can go, where they can find your products, what stores maybe that they already have accounts at that they can order some of your stuff in and just where they can engage with, with DCA custom arrows. Yeah. So it's just uh, www.dcacustomarrows.com is my website. And then uh, on Instagram, DCA custom arrows. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's the best place to kind of uh, Instagram is where I post, but not as much as I should. Uh, I post maybe 10% of the arrows that I build, but it's honestly, I, like I hit 10,000 subscribe or 10,000 followers. I'm 10,000 and a half. So, uh, now, and I almost missed that. I got 10,000 because I just, I don't pay attention. You know, it, I do a good product and I know it'll sell. It's just, that's how I look at things. <laughs> if you do it right, it'll do itself. And so like, I, I, I was like looking for a picture one day and I was like, holy crap, I'm almost at 10,000. But yeah, so that kind of came and went, but Instagram is the best place to find uh, kind of what I'm up to. And that's when I post, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm coming out with a new vein. It's going to launch this date. I do that all through Instagram. So uh, follow me out there. And if you're, even if you don't have an Instagram account or don't want one, you could still get to it. It's just Instagram, you know, www.instagram.com slash DCA custom arrows. And then there's links on my website to get to that as well. So, Cool. Well, thank you for being here, Kyle, and thank you for listening, folks.